I'm Dave Brown, right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sola, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories, guaranteed 100% territory talk each and every week here on the show, and I'm your host, Ray Russell, and this week on the program, going to bring back Roman Gomez here in just a little bit, going to go back into Mid-South Wrestling, soon to be the UWF here in 1986, but before we begin the fun, just a quick reminder that you guys can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast along with sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, now in the middle of the 1987 and the WWF Project just began the month of September in 1987 over there on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Also, listen to our sister show, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, chronicling the weekly breakdown of the Monday Night War. Right now, we're in the middle of August of 1996, coming out of that Hog Wild pay-per-view, heading into SummerSlam. Always a fun time there on Monday Warfare. You can listen to all of those shows and more, all part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network located over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and anywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google, and beyond. And be sure to follow me on social media, guys. You can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like me at Facebook.com slash wrestling grenade follow me on social media for all the latest goings on here at the wrestlecopia podcast network and i'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history and speaking of videos make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel you can find me there at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade nearly 500 videos now up on my youtube channel and counting so subscribe today uploading new footage all the time as I continue to preserve my old VHS collection by converting it all to digital. And last but not least, before we get into the good stuff, I want to stop to thank all of the listeners out there of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, the Grenade, Monday Warfare, Regional Wrestling, all of the above. I want to thank you guys so very much for your continued support of the Podcast Network. So keep those retweets, those likes, those shares. Please keep them coming. And don't forget, if you have a couple of minutes, to leave me a five-star rating out there on some of those podcast streaming apps as well. And so I don't just want to thank my listeners, but I absolutely want to thank all of my patrons. And I encourage you guys, if you have a few bucks laying around or a couple bucks in that PayPal account, if you guys want to help support that next up and coming podcast network, for me, it's all about quality content, never half-assing a show. I do my due diligence from the research to the show itself, to the post-production, the editing. I take great pride in giving you guys quality content each and every week both on my podcast as well as in my social media accounts as well. Now, that said, I could really use your help if you guys do have a few bucks laying around and you want to show your support for all the time and effort that I put into everything I do here at WrestleCopia. If you guys want to give it a try, I'm talking about that $5 all-access tier located over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from over there at Patreon. But I'm only asking you to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. If you appreciate all the time and effort that I put into the shows here, 
consider giving it a try at just $5. The all-access tier is going to get you all of my insanely detailed book-like show notes, pages and pages of show notes for every episode of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Monday Warfare, and of course, Regional Wrestling as well. Plus, you'll get early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. You can listen days, sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. You'll also get remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade, covering the 1989 NWA project. Includes enhanced sound quality and new content and conversation, originally edited out of the initial broadcast of the show due to time restraints, edited right back in. But that's not all. You'll also get digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's Main Events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. Plus, random bonus video drops, newspaper clippings. You never know what I'm going to add there at that all-access tier, guys. You get all of that for the low, low price of just $5. It's early access, insanely detailed show notes for three of the shows. Plus, you'll get Patreon-exclusive watch-alongs, remastered episodes with new content added in, digital downloads, and so much more. All of that for just $5. No subscription. Cancel any time. Show your support, guys. Give it a try for a month. I think you'll like the content that I offer. And every penny of it goes right back here into funding the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So again, if you have a few bucks laying around, you want to show your support, be a part of this from the ground floor. If you like everything I do here on the podcast and even on social media, I'd greatly appreciate you giving Patreon a try. And now with all of that out of the way, guys, it's been a bit, but we're back. Yes, indeed, heading back to 1986 and Mid-South Wrestling. guys and it's that time again headed back to 1986 mid-south wrestling soon to be the uwf and along for the ride gonna welcome him back to the show right now the former co-host of the mid-atlantic championship podcast now a returning co-host here on regional wrestling i'm talking about mr roman gomez roman welcome back good to have you back on the show thank you it's always good to talk to you and uh, it has been a while but i look forward to doing this every time we get together You've been a busy bee over this summer, man, but hey, you got to make that money while you can. Yeah, got to pay the bills. My job is uh, kind of situational, and so when it's there, you got to pounce on it. I don't blame you one bit. So, But while we have you here, I am excited to have you back here to talk more Mid-South and soon to be UWF here in 1986. And just a quick refresher, guys, before we get going, Roman, on some recent episodes of Mid-South Wrestling that we've covered, what's going on around the territory, so to speak. Dick Slater, the current North American champion and Mid-South TV champion, he was informed that he couldn't defend both belts, so what does he do? He calls a press conference, if you will, of sorts, and he quote-unquote retires the TV medallion by tossing it off a bridge into the Arkansas River. Now, that apparently didn't sit well with the Cowboy nor the Mid-South Board of Directors, and we'll have a statement on that on today's episode 
of regional wrestling. Also on the tag team scene, tag team champions Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death have been dealing with all sorts of challenges as of late. The most notable, their current feud with Dick Murdoch and the Masked Superstar, Bill Eady. Right now, they're, they're doing matches around the horn where it's the tag team titles going up against 90 days, loser leaves town if Murdoch or Superstar loses the fall. And let's not forget, guys, the Sheep Herders, who has thus far run roughshod over every tag team they've stepped in the ring against here in the Mid-South. They're looking for a title shot as well, and they'll get one here very soon. All of that, plus Hacksaw Duggan, Buzz Sawyer, the feud rages on. Mid-South undergoing a name change here very shortly. The Blade Runners have arrived. They've debuted under the guidance of Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and the Crockett Cup right around the corner, headed to the Superdome. So quite a busy time here in the Mid-South Territory, Roman. Yeah, lots of stuff going on. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the name change and uh, seeing what's coming down the pike. All right. So if you're ready to go, we'll step into the next weekend of TV here for March the 15th, Roman. Yeah, let's do it. All right, here we go. It's March 15th, Mid-South Wrestling Television here. Tape back March the 2nd, Fairgrounds Pavilion, Tulsa, Oklahoma. And before we begin, just a moment of silence, because this is the final episode of Mid-South Wrestling as we knew it. As commentary here this week, father and son team of Cowboy Bill and son Joel Watts. Bill has a formal statement on behalf of the Mid-South Board of Directors in regards to Dick Slater tossing away that TV medallion into the river. Since Dick's attorneys lobbied for Slater to hold both belts, Slater has just one week to replace that TV medallion at his own expense. And Dick Slater, he'll also be forced to defend that TV title here next week or be suspended. Now that's going to change as we get into next week's episode. But for now, let's not forget also next week, Mid-South Wrestling will undergo its name change, says Cowboy Bill because of the joint shows with Jim Crockett Promotions, because of the national and international expansion into syndication, Mid-South Wrestling forced to take on a more global name. They have to give up that regional brand. And I say it all the time, Roman, but the Cowboy never tried to insult our intelligence as human beings, and I think that's probably what I like most about him. He understood that the fans, we had brains too. Yes, and he, he like you said, he never wanted to insult the fans' intelligence. And uh, it was time to move on and, you know, bigger and better. It was sad because not only the passing of uh, the torch, but not having any more matches at the Irish McFeels Boys Club, that meant no more Boyd Pierce. I remember Bill Watts saying Boyd Pierce had too much of that regional-type voice. Uh, So there was a change, but, you know, things were going to get bigger and better. Yeah, things are trending in the right direction to get bigger, as you say, bigger, literally bigger. They're going national now, is the Mid-South Wrestling Territory. And we'll talk more about that next week here on the show. As we head to the ring, fun preliminary action to get things going here this week. Dave Peterson teaming with Brett Wayne Sawyer, taking on the team of Gustavo Mendoza and Sean O'Reilly. We start right out right away with a crisscross spot here between Sawyer and Mendoza. Sawyer busting out a pair of dropkicks on Gustavo. And then a pair of drop kicks on O'Reilly as well. The babyfaces dominate the matchup, leading into a four-way melee, ending with Peterson landing the Thez press on O'Reilly. Going to get the win here, two minutes and 39 seconds. There was really nothing much to this, but Sawyer with six drop kicks I counted in this one. Peterson with two of his own made up 90% of the offense in this match. So dropkick mania running wild this week. Yeah, and, uh, you know, they wanted to, I guess, showcase a little tag team action to kind of whet your appetite a little bit for the Crockett Cup. You know, you, we'll be seeing more tag team matches as the, as the weeks progress. 
Most definitely. And of course, Dave Peterson, the newcomer to the territory, picking up the win here for his tag team. As we move on, the number one contender to the North American title, it's Terry Taylor taking on Rob Ricksteiner. But what's this, Roman? Ricksteiner now accompanied to the ring by Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer? Oh no. Buzz informs us he is now taking Steiner, taking him on as his protege. And as the match begins, Rick overpowers Taylor early on, but Terry, he keeps frustrating Rick with some counter holds. Steiner, though, with a big press slam on Taylor, going to get himself a two count. And Rick Steiner looking for a second press slam attempt, but Terry slides behind and bounces off the ropes, blasting Steiner in the face with the five arm. Terry Taylor picking up the win here, two minutes and 55 seconds. And the story here is that Steiner is now with Buzz Sawyer. So he's going to have that experience in his corner, in his ear, teaching him as they slowly progress into more of a talent here for Rick Steiner. And you hear that, guys? He didn't become a main eventer overnight just because Sawyer became his mentor. More realism here as Rick Steiner is getting better by the week, progressing as Steiner, but he's not there just yet. And I thought in this contest, it was a good showing by Steiner, you know, and uh, Buzz Sawyer with the experience, the Mad Dog persona and everything, you just couldn't see him as like a long-term manager or mentor type. But like you said, it was good that it, it helped Steiner, you know, give him a little bit of a rub, but they didn't immediately turn Steiner into a world champion or anything because it doesn't look credible in that, you know, and I've seen federations do that with guys when they get a new manager, all of a sudden, bam, they're champion. And it's like, well, if they sucked beforehand, how are they going to be a champion? Like, you know, two days later, like you got to have it make a little sense. And I like the way they brought along Steiner uh, this year. Slow and steady wins the race. And it obviously works out for Rick Steiner in the long term. We know he had a long and storied career. Uh, as he'll move on here in the UWF as well as for WCW and even the WWF for that matter. So Rick Steiner's got a lot ahead of him and he's just taking his time here, learning, learning everything here in the professional wrestling business. And for the moment, he has Buzz Sawyer in his corner. I don't know if that's great on a personal level, but should help him out in the ring anyway. As we roll on, Mid-South returns March 24th to New Orleans and the UNO Lakefront Arena and based on uh, the promos coming up here, uh, it looks like it's a return match here. North American champion Dick Slater going to take on Terry Taylor. You know, I underestimated Terry Taylor. First of all, I was kind enough to give you a title shot, Terry Taylor, being the junior number one contender. Second of all, you gave me a good fight, which I like anyway. I don't want to climb in a ring with a man that doesn't. That seems like if I beat somebody, then I'm really beating nobody. And Terry Taylor, when I beat you... It makes me feel good inside. Now, I know the North American Heavyweight Championship is a very important title. Most of all, it's the most prestigious title in this country today. But I said before, Dick Slater is a North American Heavyweight Champion, and he's got his mind on setting being the greatest of all. And Terry Taylor, I'm giving you one more shot for it, and that's it. Tickets for this event are 10 7 and $4 on sale at all Ticketmaster outlets. We'll hear from the Rock and Roll Express later in this hour as they return to go for the world title. And now this from Terry Taylor. Being a champion in professional wrestling is the toughest thing in the world today. As competitive as our sport is and when you have a trophy as prestigious as the North American title, everybody's giving you their best shot every single night. Right, Slater? Well, yeah, you got my best shot, but when the going got really hot and really heavy... You just decided it was time to bail out. The rules are designed to protect the champion. You have to either beat him or make him give up to get that title away. And Slater, you just take advantage of those rules and just stretch them every time you can, don't you? 
This time it's going to return, and I know what you're going to do, so I have to fight double hard to keep you in that ring and within the boundaries of the rules. But yes, I think, I know in my mind that I can wrestle that title away from you. Because one-on-one, -on -one, I feel like I can beat anybody. That includes you with Dark Journey at the side. And I just think that if you and I get in there one more time, sooner or later, I'm going to put the pieces of that puzzle together, and I'm going to beat you, and I will be the North American champion. And again, like I said, based on the sounds of what they were talking about here in the promos, it sounds like their their first outing, Dick Slater ran away from ringside, took the count out on purpose here to retain his title. So a rematch coming back here to the lakefront arena between Slater and Taylor. So Taylor quickly sliding right into that number one challenger role. And it's smart booking, you know, to get up the fans to want to come back and see him again. You know, Slater, the cowardly heel. So in that aspect, how they portrayed it. But yeah, uh, Slater and Taylor, two two veterans that are going to put on a good match. And uh, I definitely would have loved to have been there for it. As we head back to the ring, singles action this time around. It's Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on Rick Davidson. Wow, and I had to do a double look, Roman. But it is, in fact, one half of the Davidson brothers looking really rough here by 1986, finishing up his career here later in 86 as well. Uh, Davidson tries to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Duggan, but finds out really fast it's not going to work. Duggan with the spear, picking up the quick win in one minute and 13 seconds. Duggan wasted no time putting away Davidson, and uh, what happened after the match? Pr pretty exciting. Absolutely. Thanks for the segue. Here we go. Post-match, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer returns to the ringside. He wants to see how much of a tough guy Hacksaw really is. So that leads to Hacksaw Duggan versus Buzz Sawyer right here on TV. Impromptu challenge becomes a match. As Buzz Sawyer hits the ring, the referee calls for the bell as the two men begin to brawl for a brief second. Duggan sending Sawyer from the ring. Watts demanding a new referee as Hacksaw tosses Buzz Sawyer back inside. We head into a commercial break, only 15 seconds into the match. But that's okay, Roman, because back from break, we clearly pick up right where we left off in the video. Buzz Sawyer jumping Duggan as he re-enters the ring. Sawyer with a whip off the ropes. Duggan reverses. Buzz runs right into a sort of a standing headbutt spear from Jim Duggan. But Hacksaw makes the cover and gets the surprise one, two, three. On the Mad Dog, Duggan pinning Sawyer in just basically 25 seconds. Really exciting action. Yeah, and, and on free TV, you know, you feel like you're getting a little bonus by seeing two main event caliber wrestlers in Duggan and Sawyer. And you figured Sawyer would have learned his lesson from doing these impromptu matchups. You know, he did that on Georgia TV and Pez Watley came out and, and beat him twice on TV. Well, he doesn't even learn here today because Buzz did get what he asked for here. And that concludes, I guess, that would have to conclude the nearly five-month-long feud between Duggan and Buzz, or maybe it doesn't. Mad Dog, not done yet. He grabs the house mic, then wraps one half of the dog collar, one of the dog collars around his neck, challenging Hacksaw Duggan to get back in the ring for a dog collar match. You were just talking about impromptus. So the crowd going nuts, encouraging Duggan to get back in the ring, and he does. Another impromptu match, Roman? Can it be a dog collar match right here on TV? As the two referees help Duggan put the dog collar on, their backs all turn to the Mad Dog, who has taken his collar off and latched it around the top rope. Oh boy. And Sawyer attacking Duggan, but Hacksaw firing right back, unloading on Sawyer. But Hacksaw doesn't realize the other end of the chain, the collar, is wrapped around the top rope. And as Duggan begins to run across the ring with Buzz, it's Duggan whiplashing himself, ow, down to the mat. 
Buzz then taking out both referees and some job guys as well eat some nasty stiff shots as they try to aid Duggan here. And then Sawyer begins whipping Duggan with the logging chain. And then finally, it's Doc and DiBiase out to make the save. What a wild segment here in Mid-South Wrestling. Man, that was a fun segment to watch. There was so much going on. And if you thought one impromptu match with Duggan and Sawyer was good, just think of having two. And the second one under the premise that it would be a dog collar match. But what a stroke of genius by Sawyer to unfasten his part of the dog collar, attach it to the top rope. That meant Duggan was was trapped. He couldn't go anywhere. And Sawyer was free as a bird, and he waylaid Duggan with the chain repeatedly. Steve Dahl and Perry Jackson tried to make the save. They got taken care of, and Doc and DiBiase finally came in after the damage was done. And then at the end, to see Sawyer exit the ring with that big grin on his face, he was he was quite proud of what he accomplished. Oh, indeed he was. So Sawyer, as you said, leaves the ring smiling like a mad dog. And if you thought this feud was over, well, guys, you were wrong. They just heated it up yet again. Five months into this and somehow still going strong. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that it felt real. The fights felt real and probably because to a degree they were. And Buzz Sawyer crazy? Yeah, crazy like a fox, it would appear. Sawyer knew what he was doing with that logging chain, what he was doing with that dog collar when he asked for that other impromptu. So fool me once, shame on me. Fool me one, twice, shame on you, Hacksaw. So Duggan gets the best of him in like, what, 25 seconds. Sawyer seemingly outraged. He wants to challenge him again. Now, he had something else in mind from the get-go, and he shows it off here. Like I said, everybody thinks the Mad Dog's crazy, and maybe he was, but also smart like a fox. That was brilliant, you know, and like, like you had said, that they had been going at it for five months already, and in a lot of feuds, you would get tired of seeing the same two people for five months, but, you know, right. Watts always preached that his guys, the guys in his league, they were men, they were real men, they were manly, you know, but, and nobody doubted it with Duggan and Sawyer. Everybody knew these were two legit badasses. Nobody in TV land watched them, oh, those are two phony wrestlers. They were believable. So when their feud went on and then they extended it even more, not one person complained about it. No, and there don't get me wrong, there were several feuds that went on five, six, even longer months, even a year. I'm not saying it went on for the better, but they have went on longer. But I don't know that there are many feuds that went on for five, six months here, like Duggan and Sawyer, that was equally as interesting here this far into the feud as it was when it got started. So they do an excellent job. You nailed it. And then, you know, throw in all the stipulations along the way and the tag match. I mean, they kept it fresh. It wasn't just a regular standard match every night for six months. You know, you could get a dog collar match one month and then the next month, let's put them in a cage and let's do it when I quit. Like they kept it fresh. Indeed they did. And this is not even the last we'll see of them here this week on regional wrestling guys. So just a little spoiler there. As we go back to Jim Ross, March the 24th, New Orleans, Louisiana at the UNO Lakefront Arena. We talked about Slater and Taylor already. Now the Rock and Roll Express coming home to New Orleans, taking on the Midnight Express. We get a Rock and Roll Express promo here, as well as we hear from the Mid-South Tag Team Champions, Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase. They're going to be taking on the Sheep Herders. Let's listen to both sides. Whoa! We did it, Luke! We did it once again! After crushing all you bloody yanks! Leaving him a bloody mess in the ring! Heaps of them! Stacking them up! Pile! Now! DBS Ian Williams! 
You had to sign the contract. You had no option. You had to sign the contract. The greatest team in the world today. You had to sign the contract against the sheep herders. And now look. Teddy, I've got this awful taste in my mouth about these sheep herders. You know, they've been walking around here mid-south just stomping people. And you know as well as I do, I'm a real, true all-American. I mean, a real all-American. And Teddy, you know what we have to do? We're protecting these belts. And you know what this is? This is bread and water right here. That's right, Doc. You guys have walked in the United States, accepted the hospitality of our country, waving the New Zealand flag, and demanding us to bow to your ways. And what you're after is right here, Mid-South Tag Team titles. Well, like the old saying goes, brother, the buck stops right here. You're not going to be walking over anybody from now on, and the only colors you're going to be seeing are the stars and stripes and old glory when this match is over. So there it is, Luke and Butch coming to New Orleans to take on Doc and DiBiase, the Tag Team title belts. Uh, what what a great match that would have been to be a part of. You know, that that's something that being out West made me so jealous of the people that got to attend those in person time after time again. Like, what a great time that must have been to be a fan in that area. And they're starting to promote the Sheep Herders as the challengers now on the house shows. So seemingly it looks like Murdoch and Mask Superstar being phased out. And we'll see more on that here this week and next week as well on TV. As we go on, though, we go to the broadcast booth. Joel Watts interviewing Terry Taylor. Terry talking that weird experience from the fans, that 50-50. We were talking about that, Roman, on the last episode of the fans between that Jake Roberts and Terry Taylor match. The fans, some of them favored Taylor, some of them favored Jake Roberts, and Taylor got some heavy boos there, and he references those uh, boos here, but he says it was all done at Dick Slater's request. It was, it was Slater's fault because... He refused to name a challenger or something along those lines. So they had to duke it out to decide who would be the challenger for Slater. So it was Slater that caused the situation. And Roman, I I still don't understand that, but that's been Taylor's claim the entire time. He, He claims he didn't want to have to fight Jake Roberts, that Dick made it happen. Even though Terry Taylor came out to the ring several weeks ago and made that open challenge, claiming he would fight anyone. So none of this really makes any sense to me, but I guess he, Terry thinks that maybe it'll take the blame off of him and the crowd won't hate him as much because he was forced into the match with Jake Roberts. If only the people realized that it was Terry behind the scenes that actually played into Jake leaving the company. Uh, talk about some heel heat then. Yeah, it was, it was a very weird and uh, not credible explanation of things you know, on Taylor's half. And, right. uh, had they both stayed in the league, I think eventually if they were going to do anything, I think they probably would have had to turn Taylor heel because Jake was going to get cheered no matter what. We talked about that in previous podcasts. Like there was really no turning Jake heel at that point. So, you know, when Jake left, didn't have to worry about it, but yeah, Taylor's explanation. It just, it just didn't, didn't hold water with me. Yeah. I can't think of a person Jake could have turned on to have went back heel at this point, even if they wanted to do it. So had both men stuck around, I agree with you. After a while, Taylor would have had to have went heel for anything to work. And even then, I, I don't know you know, how well it would have worked for Terry Taylor, but Jake Roberts was so over, there was no turning him back heel. There was nobody st- uh, to stick him in the ring that was going to get Jake any heel heat at this point. He was just that over as a babyface. His character was just that over in Mid-South as he was leaving the company, really. 
Anyways, uh, Taylor says he's going to stay on for commentary for the upcoming match involving Dirty Dick Slater. So it is North American and television champion Dick Slater out here. Dark Journey in his corner. Slater going to take on Tracy Smothers as Tracy wrestles Slater to the mat with Hammerlock and an arm bar. As on commentary, Taylor puts Tracy over as a top star in two to three years. Slater then trying a cheap shot against the ropes. But referee Carl Fergie catches his arm. Don't see that every day. Dick then going to try it again, but Carl Fergie grabbing his arm yet again. So this time Slater using a knee instead and takes over, sending Smothers out to the floor. Crafty heel that Slater. Uh, they don't call him Dirty Dick for nothing. Yeah, and uh, I, I had that in my notes as well about Smothers being a, a star down the road. And I, I always liked Smothers' work. You know, I thought he was very underrated and very underappreciated. Being from my neck of the woods, I got to meet Tracy quite a few times and hang out with Tracy quite a few times. And he was just a wow. awesome dude. And being a kid watching the wild eyed Southern boys, I'd always loved that tag team. So when they split and left WCW, well, they turned them heel and you know, whatever with them too. But uh, I'd always been a giant Tracy Smothers fan basically my whole life. So it was really cool and surreal to get to hang out with Tracy so much, at least a couple times every month for a few years there. So I just had a lot of good times with him. He was a great guy, but you did not want to piss him off. I'll tell you that. And I thought it was cool that he embraced his Italian roots, him and uh, Tommy oh, yeah. Ritz from Nashville, Italy, when they were part of the FBI. Got to embrace your roots. <laughs> <laughs> it worked so, for Akeem. So, yeah, well, it certainly did. Uh, <laughs> uh, we go on, though. The match continues. And I love Slater's thing here. He's going for cheap shots. Carl Fergie catching him. So Slater just using another body part to strike Smothers with that knee, that cheap shot tossing Smothers out of the ring, but Slater suplexing Tracy back inside for a two count and then a swinging neck breaker. And that'll do it. One, two, no, Smothers kicks out again. Smothers surprises Dick Slater with a backslide and then an inside cradle, both for two counts, but Slater finally blocking a sunset flip, dropping a nasty knee across the forehead of Tracy. And this is getting really fun at this point, I wrote in my notes. As Dick Slater slowing things down with a grounded head scissors here, but he misses a falling headbutt. And then Smothers, it's his time to fire up. But he misses a reverse crossbody block off the middle ropes. And Slater, with a Samoan drop, finally gets the win. Seven minutes and 31 seconds. Fun showing for Tracy Smothers, but Slater's showing why he's the champion here. Love the match for TV. And this is a case of how you can lose a match and still come out looking better for it. And this match went a little longer than I originally thought, you know, when I was watching it. I, I wasn't, I would, didn't see it coming, Roman. Yeah, I, th I thought Slater would have polished him off in, you know, three minutes or so. And then Smothers with the attempted backslide. I guess he didn't know that only Ric Flair loses on a backslide. Yeah, Tracy, <laughs> Tracy I, uh, was I've given a Flair lot here. Twice. He's the only guy I've ever seen. Flair's right. the only guy I've ever seen lose on a backslide, and I've seen him do it a couple times. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a good move. It's a good move. I'm sure a few people have lost to the backslide. I can't think of them right now mm -hmm. off the top of my head. But, yeah, in this instance, it doesn't work. But it was cool to see. At first, you know, Tracy gets that hope spot early on. I wasn't thinking much of it. Then he gets a couple of near falls. Okay, anybody can have that. But then he's moving out of uh, Slater's headbutts, Slater hitting the swinging neckbreaker, and Tracy kicking out. I'm like, what is going on here? They're giving him some time to shine out there. Tracy Smothers looked good. And, uh, you know, I was really pleasantly surprised as I saw this match was going literally double the time I thought it was going to go. Yeah, yeah, it went longer. And then, uh, you know, it, it was good. Like Taylor predicted stardom for Smothers. And it was good in Smoky Mountain to see Smothers get 
get a, get a push, you know, get to be champion and, and get put in the spotlight. And he was, he was a good man for that territory. Smothers was never going to be a guy that was going to headline a WrestleMania or anything, but in the right spot and the right promotion, he was a very valuable asset. Yeah. Freddie Joe Floyd wasn't uh, heading up WrestleMania. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> we're going to go on with the show. Another guy never going to headline WrestleMania, Korstia Korchenko with hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert in his corner, taking on Ricky Gibson as Eddie introduces Korchenko this week, being from Russia with love. How about that guys? As Bill Watts buries the Soviet union on commentary per the usual Watts, uh, referring to it as an underdeveloped nation as Korchenko with a two handed elevated choke. And then a Patera esque, Body toss across the ring on Gibson. Gibson, though, comes back with a pair of drop kicks, stunning Korchenko, but it's the Russian swatting away a third drop kick attempt, and then the over-the-shoulder backbreaker dropping down to his knees for that additional impact. And then Korchenko making the cover, scoring the win, two minutes and eight seconds. And for everything that Slater and Smothers match was, this was not. Yeah, and the, the only thing I really have in my notes is I wanted to pay tribute to Ricky Gibson and say thank you for putting my initials on his boots. I thought that was kind of nice with well, the RG nice on his boots. Yeah, it was. It was very nice of him to do so. Thank <laughs> you, Ricky. Roman appreciates that, as do I, for that matter. Pretty cool, though. All the way back in 1986. <laughs> yeah, he had to trade up those boots, I guess, when he uh, when he went over to Crockett there as uh, Ricky Lee Jones or whatever Dusty gave him. But uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty cool. We roll on, though. More talk of the March 24th UNO Lakefront show. The war won't end. An I quit match. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer taking on Hacksaw Duggan. You know, what's Mid-South going to come up with next? They got this I quit match, a match I never heard about nothing in my life because, see, since I've been this tall, I've been growing. I've been beating people. I'm getting beat up. I ain't never quit it. Nothing in my life. I'm a go-getter. They got this stipulation. They're going to check us. When we get in the ring, when we get in the ring, we're gonna both be searched. Well, you ain't gotta worry about me because anybody knows Mad Dog Bus Sawyer don't need a chain. Dugan, we know you need that two by four, but you see, you can't have it. And then when we get down and we get dirty and we get nasty and it's man to man and you're sticking that microphone in your ears and in your nose and in your mouth and you're screaming, I quit about that search and stuff. Check me all you want. I know the position from way back. But the thing is, is they're going to take a microphone, they're going to stick it down in your mouth, and somebody's going to have to say, somebody's going to have to say that they quit. And I quit. It's not in Hacksaw Jim Duggan's vocabulary. Many times since I've been here in Mid-South, I've had this nose right here smashed on in. I had this eye split open. I had this ear torn, and I wanted to give up. I wanted it to finish, and I was laying there with that crimson crawling all over my face, and I look out there, and I see one of my people saying, Hacksaw, fight on! Hacksaw, get up! And by God, I get up, and I fight on! So, Sawyer, you're going to quit, tough guy! And these two men, they sound ready, Roman. I quit. Two words. Can you imagine hearing either one of these guys, Sawyer or Duggan, for that matter, using the words, I quit? No. <laughs> Under any circumstance, I... I it's hard to wrap your mind around Sawyer saying, yes, I quit. You're better than I am. I, I just, same thing with Duggan. I, I, it would have been interesting to see it play out in person, but yeah, I can't imagine either guy saying those words. So we've got a lot of listeners from that neck of the woods that are really into the Mid-South podcast we're doing here on Regional Wrestling. So I encourage any of you guys who may have attended any of these shows 
with an I Quit match to get a hold of me. Drop me a DM on Twitter or, for that matter, Facebook. Let me know if you remember how the finish played out there in those I Quit matches with Duggan and Sawyer. A lot of their gimmick matches are on video. I don't know that any of the I Quit matches are one of those matches. I'm going to go back and look and see myself on some of those old Mid-South house show handhelds out there, but I don't remember seeing, I don't recall an I Quit match, but I'm very curious how the finish played out, how Hacksaw got Buzz Sawyer to say the words I Quit, and for that matter, if he said them at all or if they did a a knockout gimmick or, or something along those lines. So very curious to see how that played out as we roll on here, more Mid-South TV. The Sheep Herders in the ring now taking on Steve Dahl and Perry Jackson. As Bill Watts says, this is their seventh week of the Sheep Herders March Through America. And the no-sell machines, Luke and Butch here, double clothesline and double gut buster on Perry Jackson. Going to get the Sheeps the win, three minutes and 51 seconds. And then post-match, the Herders attack and dispose of their opponents from the ring when out come tag team champions Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death arriving ringside with the American flag. And the brawl is on between the two teams back and forth. And this goes on for some time before finally the baby faces gain the advantage. Doc running through both, running through, I said, both of the sheep herders with football tackles to clear the ring and hold the American flag high. USA, USA, Roman. And this was a longer brawl than you normally see. Normally when somebody does a run in, it's, you know, for a short time just to kind of whet your appetite a little bit. This actually went on for a little bit. And, uh, you know, you're, you're at home, you're thinking like, gosh, I'd love to see these guys go at it for the gold. I'd love to see them at the Crockett Cup. You know, your mind's racing, thinking about all the possibilities. And, uh, yeah, USA, USA, Doc and Bibiasi chased the sheeps from the ring and, you know, much of the amusement of the crowd, and everybody was happy. And uh, Bill Watts on commentary with his patriotic, or some even may say xenophobic comments here all throughout this segment. But, man, talk about over. This segment, this brawl, DiBiase and Doc, they were over. And and it's a, a testament to everybody. You know, you can't just say, well, it's because of one team. I mean, the Sheep Herders were that hated, right. which made it work so good. you got to have a good heel to go with the good baby face. And, you know, and Doc and DiBiase were loved. The, the crowds were used to Doc and DiBiase. They considered them one of their own. They had seen them for years. They're our guys. And now these outsiders come in and they're anti-American. So it's like, screw them. You know, like the crowd really ate it up. Yeah, it was, it was definitely working by the end of this episode of Mid-South. And don't forget guys, next week, Mid-South Wrestling will undergo a name change. Plus Dick Slater right now scheduled to defend that television title. And we learned that the tag team titles will also be on the line. So a stacked show for next week, the very first edition of what will be the Universal Wrestling Federation. Yeah, UWF coming up. And, uh, you know, you have flashbacks to back then. Everybody was wondering, like, what's going to happen? There was excitement. There was a buzz in the air about it. Yeah, and we're just uh, a few days away from looking at that. But before we get there, we're going to stop and look at Power Pro Wrestling for March the 16th. Jim Ross hosting. And, okay, guys, so I posted a shortened version of this show on my YouTube channel because I was forced to edit a couple segments out of this show But the good news is you guys can still watch this entire episode of Power Pro because it's on the Peacock or the WWE Network for international listeners. So it's still out there in full form, but I I was forced by, I guess, the WWE gods, if you will, to remove a couple of segments here. Uh, The I believe the Jim Cordette cake segment, which we'll get into, and the Blade Runners match as well. But 
It is what it is. We'll roll on. You guys can watch this, like I said, on the Peacock. We kick the show off. It's Korchenko with Eddie Gilbert in his corner, taking on Perry Jackson. Recorded back March 2nd at the Myriad as Gilbert gets on the house mic during the match, doing his own commentary of sorts, likely to distract the fans from Korchenko, who wins the match with the -the over-the-shoulder backbreaker in just 1 minute and 51 seconds. But still fun, Eddie out there using the house mic to provoke the fans and try to get some heat for Korchenko here. Yeah, and Gilbert was a good mouthpiece. So, you know, if anybody could have gotten heat for his guy, it would have been Gilbert. Somewhat reminiscent of Jerry Lawler commentating his own match. That was a little, that was a step above this, but I still have Eddie Gilbert out there talking smack during the matchup to Korchenko's opponent and to the fans. So it was just fun. Yes, yes. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Gilbert was always a favorite of mine. And uh, he's another guy, you know, with the dark side of the ring episodes that are out now. And mm-hmm. uh, he would have been interesting to see a dark side of the, uh, the ring with Eddie Gilbert. Yeah, some of their choices, I guess they're easier to get into, but I agree. Buzz Sawyer, Eddie Gilbert, those those are ones I'd be waiting for. But here on Power Pro, up next, it's a Road Warrior squash recorded from Jim Crockett Promotions. Animal pressing partner Hawk up into the air, dropping him on top of Ron Rossi for the big win in just 10 seconds' time as the roadies are ready for the Crockett Cup. Seed number one. And, and what a great way to establish their dominance by having – them seen on TV beating people in 10 seconds. (laughs) I mean, the ref barely gets done with the instructions and the match is over. And Power Pro goes on. We hear from Jim Duggan and Buzz Sawyer once more talking about that I quit match at the Lakefront Arena. And then it's back to the ring. Coco Beware in action. Going to take on Rob Ricksteiner here. This was taped back on March 2nd at the Myriad. So no Buzz Sawyer in the corner of Steiner just yet. But it is the Birdman and Rob Ricksteiner as it's announced as a 20-minute time limit. And Joel Watts on commentary claiming that time limits are longer here on Power Pro. What is normally 10 minutes on Mid-South is actually 20 minutes here on Power Pro. I wrote, okay, Joel, just making shit up here, but that's okay. Coco scoring the win with the middle rope dropkick, five minutes and nine seconds. A few weeks ago, this would have went two minutes. And I can say that for a fact because this very match did go about two minutes just a few weeks ago. But Steiner getting a little more... In gear now, he's going a little longer, like you pointed out, getting more moves into the matchup. So Steiner looking better each and every week. Yeah, and arena matches typically do go a little bit longer right. than TV matches, but it was a it was a nice attempt by Joel to try to put a spin on it. You know, I guess he's been taking a page from his father's playbook, you know, the explainer, trying to explain to the fans why the arena matches last a little bit longer. You know, I've said this, I've told this story before, probably on the grenade, but the first match I ever saw live, Roman, was Tito Santana versus Bob Bradley. And you watch it on TV, they go two, maybe three minutes. But at the house show, they went something like 12 minutes. And I said, why is it taking Tito 12 minutes to beat a guy he beats for, you know, in two minutes on TV? Of course, I was a kid at the time. I didn't understand it. And I was a fan of Bob Bradley mm-hmm. anyway. So I didn't really question it too hard because I liked seeing Bob in the ring. But uh, it was just, it's like you said, at the house shows, they kind of tend to stretch things out a little bit, even with the uh, the prelim guys, the enhancement guys as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's... uh it was a different time, different era back then. You know, people actually had a little bit of a, an attention span. They could sit through a, a 10, 12 minute match. Now in this era of crash market TV or, you know, uh, oh, let, let's have as much as we can in one hour. You know, let's have a bunch of little segments and whatnot. But yeah, different era. Well, 1986 is a different era. I'll tell you that because up next in the ring, it's the Blade Runners accompanied to the ring by their manager, Eddie Gilbert, taking on Brett Sawyer and Sean O'Reilly. This also recorded March 2nd at the Myriad. It's Rock and Flash here. So they have names now, at least, though Sting is Flash at this point. 
that doesn't last long at all, though. Sting, or Flash, overpowers Sawyer early on, but Brett slides through his legs and dropkicks Flash down to the mat. And then Rock, the ultimate warrior, tagging in as Joel Watts calls him deranged and says it's what you call the steroid effect. The man is, not only is he huge and muscular, he seems to be a little bit deranged. Could be the steroid effect. There's Rock pounding on him with the forearms. I wrote, ha shoot. Steroids were banned, Roman, in some sports, but they weren't ban- a banned substance yet. Not until 1990 here in the United States. So this wasn't Joel trying to out the warrior is breaking any sort of laws. Yet still hilarious, the steroid effect, guys. So Warrior has been outed by Phil Hickerson in Memphis, and now Joel Watts here in the Mid-South. Man, are, are you breaking ground here? Are you trying to tell me that the Warrior was on steroids? I'm just saying. I'm wow. Just saying. <laughs> I, did, I didn't say it. Joel Watts said it. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, I just love it. He's blaming the Warrior's mannerisms on steroids. So even back then, before they were illegal, obviously they were already implying that they they cause certain things, maybe a little crazy in the head, if you will. And uh, yeah, that's that's the explanation Joel Watts gives here for Warrior's mannerisms in the ring. Unfortunately, I don't know Warrior ever breaks some of those mannerisms, but uh, back to the action anyway. Warrior pressing Brett Wayne up into the air, dropping him, but Sawyer leapfrogs a backdrop attempt and drop kicks Rock into the corner as well. And then it's tag time to partner Sean O'Reilly, which goes nowhere. The Warrior with stiff-ass stomps and forearms, poor Sean. And then a five-second bear hug, for whatever reason, literally five seconds. Warrior then randomly releasing the bear hug and tagging to partner Flash, who locks in yet another bear hug on O'Reilly. And then Sting also randomly releasing the bear hug. So very clearly here, these guys have no idea what they're doing in the ring as the Warrior tags back in yet again, Sting waiting in the ring for some type of double team, but it never happens. And then Sting finally just walks back to his corner. I wrote, what the? Well, you know what I wrote. And then the Warrior with another five-second bear hug as I write, what the hell is going on here? Sting back in, and now we get that double team spot Sting was waiting for before. Looks like they're going to set up for the heart attack. A thousand times less smooth than the Heart Foundation Yet somehow at the same time, a hundred times more stiff. Ugh. And Sting going to get the win on O'Reilly after that heart attack. Four minutes and 46 seconds. Yeah, you, you feel bad for somebody like O'Reilly for having to be thrown into a match like that. And you, it, it, it wouldn't happen, but you almost wish somebody like Bill Watts would you know, kick him an extra 20 bucks or something like, sorry, we made you work with the warrior. <laughs> we know how stiff and green he is. You know, here's a couple extra bucks. Go buy yourself a sandwich or something. Yeah. You know, and as I scroll back up, I realized that I typed way more in words than they, than the blade runners did in moves in this match. But I had to explain how bad this was three different times in the match. They lock in a bear hug. They hold it for about five seconds and then just let it go. And of course, Jim Ross calls them the tag team of the eighties. Moving forward, boy, that's that's a scary thought. Yeah, they were one of many that tried to emulate the Road Warriors with the muscles and the face paint, and you know, like most movies, uh, the the sequels are never as good as the originals. I mean, granted, Sting and Warrior both went on respectively to become world champions, but as a tag team, wow! I mean, you you watch them, you could see how bad they were. Yeah, it's uh, it's not pretty, but it's like a train wreck. You know, you can't turn away. You gotta you gotta kind of watch yeah. it anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it. That's perfect. So bad that it's 
you don't want to say so bad it's good, but so right. bad that you, you can't you can't change the channel. You can't stop the DVD or whatever. You have to see how it's going to turn out. It's so bad. So the show goes on. Up next, it's Steve Kern versus Chavo Guerrero, the loser painted yellow match from Houston, Texas, from January 31st. Now, Chavo wins the match, but it's the Fabs that paint him yellow. And every week here on Power Pro, it's the Fabs and Guerrero's feud. Uh, eats up about a third of the TV program every week even though it's been over for several weeks now. But again, for filler, it's great stuff. Yeah, it's great to watch. You know, both of them uh, known in the tag team circles as being great tag team wrestlers. And, uh, yeah, you can't really complain when you're seeing Fabs and and Guerreros in any form, whether singles or tag going against each other. And we're going to close out this edition of Power Pro uh, with the Rock and Roll Express coming back in town, working shows, sometimes against the Midnight Express. This was all done to help promote the Crockett Cup, and it's uh, two of the most memorable tag teams in Mid-South history. Well, one of the most memorable feuds in Mid-South history. Well, wrestling history, for that matter. We go back in time, and we see when the Rock and Rolls smashed Jim Cornette's face into a celebratory cake at ringside at the old Irish McNeil's Boys Club after the Midnights conveniently wander off away from Jim Cornette there. It's the feud that never ends, Roman, and I'm happy for it. Yeah, you didn't want it to end, you know, and both carnations of the, of the Midnight Express, you know, whether eating Condry or eating in lane with the rock and rolls, they were gold. And something that was awesome that's very often uh, overlooked is the role of, like, Jim Cornette in this, you know, because Bobby Eaton was not a great talker, great worker, but, I mean, let's face it, he didn't cut the – the most exciting promos ever, but seeing Cornette's face shoved in the cake, his reaction, you know, which made the crowd even want to taunt him even more. Like Cornette was great at selling stuff like this. And that, that helped get it over even more. Yeah. My son's been binge watching uh, Crockett uh, started with the fall of 81 there on the network. And he's all the way into, I think he's in January of 87 now. And he just loves Jim Cornette, the the way he sells everything, everything he does. If he misses a show, he notices it right away. Why wasn't Jim Cornette on this week? Uh, they give him a few months there as an added commentator to World Championship Wrestling in 86. And when they do the angle where they take Corny back off of commentary, boy, he got hot at David Crockett, you know. <laughs> Supposedly Crockett snitched him out to his mom that he wasn't focused on the wrestling enough and all this other nonsense. So, yeah, my son's really loving Jim Cornette. Uh, 1980s style. So it's just great. And yeah, Corny could sell anything. Your son sounds like a very smart young man. Cause he I mean, is. let's face it. Who would you rather listen to Cornette or Crockett on commentary? You know, of course, <laughs> yeah. I'll take Cornette any day of the week. Yeah. No, no, no doubt about it. So throughout this episode of power pro Joel and Jim Ross promised a blade runners music video here next week. Have to wait and see if that takes place. But up next Roman, we fast forward yet another week. It's the March 22nd edition of Mid-South. No, wait. That doesn't say Mid-South. It's the debut edition of the Universal Wrestling Federation, the UWF. New intro and all. Bill Watts presents the UWF, Universal Wrestling Federation. Joel Watts and Jim Ross on commentary here. The action this week going to be taped from the Myriad in Oklahoma City back on March the 16th. And I love the name, the big-time field of this opening, Roman. And I got a little fun story real quick. As a kid, after the UWF folded at the end of 1987, I used to create my own little fantasy wrestling promotions and notebooks. And over the next four and five years, all of them named the UWF. So it stuck with me for years. Always loved the name. Always loved the territory. Yeah. And, you know, th- this is what we've been waiting for. You know, this is the, 
the the passing of the torch or whatnot. And and I also like the fact that it was something that was teased for a couple weeks, not something that was done in November. Like, wait till you see what happens in March. Like, it was only a couple weeks where you would have to ponder and think about it. And I thought that was, like, real subtle, but I thought that was neat how they did that. Yeah, and I could see especially Crockett was notorious for building things up for months to the point where you didn't even want to hear about it anymore. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, you're right. Watts gives you two weeks notice. Hey, I'm not going to give you just one week. That's that's not enough. But I'm going to give you two weeks here. You guys to think about it. We're changing names. We're going national. And uh, you guys got two weeks to, you know, build the anticipation. And uh, boom, here we are, the UWF. Yeah, the changing of the guard. The, the bigger arenas gives it a bigger feel to it. Like, this is a legit company that can compete with Vince because look at all the thousands of people in the arena. It just gives that feel of a big-time company when you see them move to the big arenas like that. Oh, yeah. If I had never watched the UWF before, if I was just a casual wrestling fan and I flipped by and I saw this product, certainly wouldn't know the difference between this and Crockett. That's for sure. Maybe the WWF, they had them beat in the production still, but, I mean, the UWF was, at least on TV, looked just as equal to JCP at the very least. Yeah, and, and the noise factor. You know, I have flashbacks to how many times that you almost had to turn the TV down. Down, right. Because the crowd was going so, you know, bananas over, you know, the Hayes and DiBiase and the Freebirds and all the stuff that's going to happen. Like, the crowd was deafening and how yeah, loud it, Ross had to talk to talk over the crowd. Yeah, it, it wreaks havoc sometimes on my sound bites. It's not fun <laughs> grabbing some of these crowd noises. I'll tell you that. It's like you want it loud enough so that the people listening can understand how loud it was, but you don't want it loud enough to where it's blowing out your ears and your headphones at the same time. But I I would much rather have that than the fake piped in crowd noise that we've heard over over years on certain shows. And and, and just looking at the fans, their excitement. You know, I I know it was a little before the UWF, but in Mid-South, like when – Magnum beat Mr. Wrestling 2 for the North American title. Mm-hmm. Fans literally jump out of their chairs in excitement. Right. You don't see that very often nowadays, no. but back then it meant something. Yeah, those were the days, as Archie Bunker used to say. A lot of people are asking me, <laughs> who the hell is Archie Bunker right now? But hey, guys, it's regional wrestling. We're going back in time here. And Joel Watts and Jim Ross on commentary as we go straight away into a press conference it's the press conference for the jim crockett senior memorial cup tag team tournament crockett cup for short uh we're taking straight away to the press conference here we it's a it's a legitimate looking press conference as we see jim crockett senior's children sitting there it's david jackie francis and of course jim crockett jr we get a vtr from his widow mrs crockett and they're talking about the inaugural crockett cup event then we hear from the Superdome Executive Vice President, Mr. Bob Johnson. He talks the Crockett Cup coming, of course, to the Superdome. We then learn that it'll be not 20 teams, Roman, but rather 24 tag teams. They've upped their game. 24 teams competing in the tournament across two events, both of them taking place April the 19th, a matinee show, and then the second show beginning at 7.30 p.m. And then from there, PWI, the Pro Wrestling Illustrated, they were given the job of seeding the teams in the tournament as senior editor Bill Apter announces the top 10 seeds for this Crockett Cup tournament. And here they are. Number one, the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. Number two, America's team, Magnum TA, Dusty Rhodes. Number three, World Tag Team Champions, Midnight Express, Condry and Lane. 
Not sure how the world champs are number three, but we'll get to that later. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, the horsemen, in at number four. Number five, a team from Canada, Rick Martel and Dino Bravo. Rock and Roll Express are seeded sixth. Then from Japan, seventh seed, the Giant Baba and Tiger Mask. Seed number eight, the Russian team of Ivan and Nikita Koloff. Number nine, it's the Sheep Herders of New Zealand. And the number 10 seed, Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams, the current well, now UWF Tag Team Champions. We'll come back to the seeding in just a minute, Roman. Boy, will we. Don't you worry about it. But to finish this segment up first, we see Paul Bosch, Peter Burkholz also at this presser as Bill Watts then puts over the inaugural Crockett Cup. Coming to his territory, winners to receive $1 million. Oh, the prestige of this entire event. And immediately after announcing the seedings, what happens, Roman? Watts announces that Flair has pulled out of the tournament in order to defend his NWA world title against Dusty Rhodes, which also means Dusty Rhodes has pulled out of the tournament and he will be replaced by Ron Garvin teaming with Magnum TA. What did you make of just this? We'll talk about the seeding and all of that still to come, but what did you make of this? They announce the seed, the teams, and then 10 seconds later, two of the teams have been pulled from the tournament. My only thought is that maybe they were thinking they were giving the fans something a little extra that were watching, like, oh, cool, now we get Dusty and Flair. We weren't expecting that. But I, I don't know. I, I thought, yeah, same thing. You, you announce the teams, and then 10 seconds later, you change them? Like, and then, you know, you throw somebody like Garvin and T.A., who, who I don't ever recall seeing them team on TV right. before. Now they're highly ranked, and then, you know, I mean, the the seeding can be questionable, but just when you read the list and just looking at it, like, you have the Mid-South Tag Team Champions behind the Sheep Herders, who are the number one contenders for those belts. I thought that was kind of interesting as well. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's funny because I have some of that stuff in my notes that I, I added some notes before we went on the air today, and some of the things you just said are actually in my notes upcoming, so I'll try to skip over some of it since you've already touched on it, but... So two of the top Sorry 14, about that. <laughs> you're fine. That's great. I'm happy that somebody else did it. You know what I mean? You know, and, and it's awesome that we, we see the same things. We feel the same way because I know I'm not crazy in, in some of this stuff and I'm not taking it too seriously. It just blew my mind. Some of this. So because two of the top four seeded teams in the tournament have been disbanded or changed. And, and that's just thus far. And they couldn't have figured out this before announcing all the changes within seconds of each other. I th- I thought it made Bill After look completely stupid here because he took the time to create the seating and then they're like, yeah, but we're, we're changing the teams. So why is Ronnie Garvin and Magnum TA number two, like you said? They've never even teamed as far as I know. And I pondered, shouldn't this change the seatings around as well? Well, Bill After says, no, the seatings are going to remain the way they are, which also made no sense to me. So Magnum and Ronnie Garvin, who aren't even a tag team, are seated number two above the world tag team champions, all while the local Mid-South teams are seated ninth and 10th, the Herders seated above the UWF tag team champions, DiBiase and Doc. So sure, these seeds, they seem legit. <laughs> well, I, I guess, you know, we can look back all these years later, but I mean, at, at that moment, if you were a super smart fan and wanted to dissect and analyze it i guess you could have told yourself well gee if they got garvin and ta number two maybe they'll go pretty far in the tournament but i I don't yeah it's very bizarre how they did that yeah i'm thinking as a kid as a fan if i I don't remember this at all but had i seen these seatings i'm sure i would just be like wow they're telling me this is the order and i would have just bought it i would have been like 
oh, okay, and I wouldn't have understood as much as I do now. And of course, it is all hindsight and smart fan booking now at this point, but just a lot of shenanigans going on here that they could have simply just walked into this and announced some other teams in the, in the get-go. Uh, but like you said, I they think they're giving everybody a bonus by giving a world title match here, but I kind of rather would have seen Dusty and Magnum in here and, and Arn and Flair in here because the whole thing is all about the Crockett Cup, and I feel like that was the prestige of this entire thing. But again, they want to get the NWA world title on the show. I'm not going to argue that. But back to the seating. So Flair and Arn are out. That becomes Arn and Tully Blanchard. Dusty and Magnum out. That becomes Ronnie Garvin and Magnum TA. Also, Terry Taylor going to replace Ted DiBiase in the team with Dr. Death because Teddy will be in all Japan. And they knew that before heading into this, by the way, guys. So that didn't happen last minute. Then you factor in that Martel and Bravo, they don't even work the event. Reportedly, Bravo had appendicitis, legit, and they didn't even bother to find Martel a different partner, even though he was in town for the show. They didn't even give Martel a partner or find a replacement team in the tournament. And they were seated fifth, remember, guys. So that means that they got a first round bye to start with. Uh, one, of, one of the top eight teams doesn't even compete, yet they get the bye into the next round. Nobody gets bumped up. So again, I know I'm nitpicking here. We'll discuss this more when we get to the Crockett Cup, but so for as awesome as the actual matches the event was, the show itself was heavily flawed from the initial booking standpoint, at least by my perspective. I'm a little critical of this one, Roman. Yeah, you know, and it sucks to see Flair and Arn not team, but when you get Arn and Tully as a team, it's like, can't complain too loudly on that. But yeah, I would have liked to have seen Dusty and TA as a team. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's many years later, but yeah, looking how they set up the booking and the and the rankings and everything and that. You nailed it. It made Bill After look like a buffoon. You know, like he's supposed to be in charge of the rankings and and you know, ten seconds after they make the announcement, he's got to make a change to a couple changes. And yeah, it was very, very clumsily done. I, I guess clumsy might not be the right word, but uh, it was awkward. I guess. Yeah, and um, don't get me wrong. Context is king, says Eric Bischoff. And as you said, Tully Blanchard filling in for Flair. You can't really complain. Arn and Tully will wind up becoming one of the greatest tag teams of all time. But at the same time, you know, people shitting on Ronnie Garvin filling in for Dusty. I got news for you guys. Ronnie Garvin was the next man up in Crockett at this point. He was knocking Flair out on TV around this time frame. I just watched it. I know. Like I said, my son's been binging this stuff. So Garvin was like the number three baby face in line right here, right now to step in for the dream to team with Magnum. And he had been doing some things with flair. So for at least the mid Atlantic fans, Garvin made sense here. And I'm not saying he's dusty by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm certainly not saying they should be seated number two, but it is what it is. And man, I mean, the press conference eats up 10 minutes of the program to kick off the show. The first ever UWF program. And in some ways this was good. It came off professional. It also aired on TBS world championship wrestling. This press conference did. So we, we see that UWF is national now. They're working with JCP. They're talking the Superdome. Oh, NWA world title match with two big names, probably the most well-known names outside of the WWF, Flair and Dusty, involved in that match. But at, this, at the same time, not quite sure this is the hot start you'd expect from Bill Watts creating the UWF. We are so on the same page. I was going to talk about that next, like, this is your debut episode as the Universal Wrestling Federation. So if you get a first-time fan that maybe heard, like, oh, there's a new wrestling league or something along those lines, is this really how you want to grab them? By having a long press conference where everybody, and I mean everybody, got to speak. 
You know, when they brought the janitor up and he told everybody uh, to pick up their trash as they left the arena, that was too much. Yeah, that was a lot. Like I said, 10 minutes of the show, and it's the beginning of the show, mind you guys. So it's just oddly placed here. I guess Bill Watts was going for the professionalism of it all. Hey, we're big league. We have press conferences here, but I don't know that's how I want to start out my very first episode of UWF TV. But again, it's all hindsight, and we can't really change that now. Well, Ray, don't you think that they could have not only edited this, but maybe spread it out, like come back after a commercial break and like, we've got an announcement and then maybe play the part where Flair's going to wrestle Dusty or somehow I think they could have done it different, but just to start off with 10 minutes of a press conference and I as hardcore fans thought this was too long. How, how do you think an average Joe that's sitting down to watch wrestling would, would feel about this 10 minutes to start your show on a press conference. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I mean, they aired the exact same thing on world championship wrestling, the two hour program. So it was just another segment on their show. They still had plenty of time to promote around it, whatever else they wanted to do. But here, I mean, we're kicking off the show and we're, we're already almost a quarter of an hour into the one hour program here, but I, they certainly don't uh, waste any time making up for it here. As far as uh, storylines, in the ring. Oh, I was just going to say, don't, don't worry, fans. It gets better. From the oh, press conference, it, it gets better. There's lots of excitement coming, so stay could, with us. We could joke that it can only get better from here, but it just, it really does get a whole lot better as we're off to yet another quote-unquote press conference of sorts with Jim Ross sitting at a table with dual champion Dick Slater, Dark Journey, and the mad dog Buzz Sawyer. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Dick Slater has called another press conference. If you remember, his last press conference was at the Arkansas River, at the bridge of the Arkansas River, as a matter of fact. So at this time, I'd like to turn the press conference over to Mr. Unpredictable Dick Slater. Well, I'm sure glad you did that, because I don't really like being real close to you first place, because you are a representative of Mid-South, and I have done what I've said I was going to do in the past. I have got the barrel on Mid-South. First of all... When I won the North American title and they told me I couldn't win the television title, I did. Now I have them both. But listen, I got something in mind. I got rid of the other television championship because it was cheap. And I didn't like the way it looked. And Mid-South said, well, you have to produce yourself a new television championship. And I did, too, didn't I, Jim Ross? Probably the one of the most beautiful belts that a man could put around his waist in professional wrestling. That's beautiful. And not only that, but since the new name of Mid-South is the Universal Wrestling Federation, I even had the name put on there, and I would have put my name on there myself, but I didn't have room. But as you see, I call this conference because I got a little something in mind. <laughs> you know, since y'all don't want me to have both these belts, in Mid-South, has done cost me a lot of money and attorneys and a lot of headaches. I'm going to do this. I'm going to let Buzz Sawyer take this championship <laughs> as my friend. And he will defend the title today on TV. And I don't care who you defend it to. But I know Buzz Sawyer is a good friend of mine and is capable of taking this championship and defending the title whether it be for me or whether it be for Buzz Sawyer. I can defend this title against any man that walks on the face of this earth. I don't care who it is because I am the toughest man in the world sitting right here looking at you. And Mr. Slater, I sure appreciate it because I want to tell you something. You know how good this is going to look around my waist and dark journey. Hold on, hold on. I know you like champions. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, I know how much she likes a champion, and you don't know how much money I spent for this. But I know she'd like a new dress, but she said go ahead and buy this. And I know the reason why, isn't it? Because I like champions. As long as you have the main one, you're the man, I'm with you. As Slater says, he dumped the TV medallion because it was cheap. He ain't lying, Roman. But the Mid-South said he had to produce a new television title. And so he went out and he had a new belt made. Imagine that. In one week's time, too. Wow. Uh, so that was fast. Slater says that why, he was so thoughtful that he even had the new name, UWF, put on the belt. But we didn't know the name until now. Anywho, so out of friendship, Slater hands Buzz Sawyer over the Universal Wrestling TV title. So clearly the booking has definitely changed here as Buzz Sawyer, the new UWF TV champion, and he says he's going to defend the title against anyone. Buzz then making a play for Dark Journey here. Since Journey is a fan of champions and all, maybe she'd like to... Well, you know what Buzz was implying there. But Slater cuts him off and asks Journey herself what are her thoughts on the entire situation. She tells Dick Slater, as long as he's the main champion, she's with him. So they get over the gold digger character here of Dark Journey, even though she was with Slater before he was champion, but still a fun segment. Yeah, it was it was good. And uh, I had mentioned before in a previous podcast, like I never liked the idea of it being frowned upon as a guy as a dual champion. You know, if you're a double champion, run with that. Make the guy look look like a, a dominant wrestler instead of punishing him. Like, you can't have two belts. But And then, kind of surprising in the sense, just storyline-wise, Watts was always big on protecting the business, making it look real, and, you know, you had to earn everything. And just to allow, granted it was a storyline, but just to allow the television championship, the second most prestigious title in the company, to just be given to a wrestler. Same you know, thing in my just, notes. I'm right with you, brother. Yeah, you know, and then the tournaments, you know, those have been done to death, but you figure somehow they could have maybe named the top two contenders for the belt and had them have a match for it or something, but just to hand over a title, it's very unlike Bill Watts-type booking. I'll tell you what, this does not feel like a storyline either. Lots of convoluted confusion lately with the TV title. At first, Bill Watts says he can't be dual champion, and then Dick Slater cuts a promo stating that his attorneys fixed it to where he could be a dual champion, and then he tosses the TV medallion into the river, thus retiring it. But Bill Watts says, no, no, you have to furnish us a new television title, and you'll have to defend it here next week. Lots of back and forth here. It's like they don't know what they want to do. Well, now they do, but... At the time, it's, it's, it's been back and forth a few times, and it doesn't feel like a storyline because it's very confusing. But at the end of the day, it looks like, like you said, Dick Slater handing that belt over Buzz Sawyer and the Cowboy using the changing of the title here from the medallion to a belt as part of the storyline, making use of the change in story form here. So he knew the company was going to go national, and that meant spending a few bucks to make an actual TV belt. So a wise decision here by the Cowboy and Though I can't believe Watts, like you said, would ever allow someone to hand over a title. But thankfully, we didn't go through yet another tournament at the end of the day. And it was nice in the sense that it was an actual physical belt. You know, I, I had always thought the medallion ran its course. Supposedly, the story was that they had it in 1984 because the Olympics and, you know, whatnot. But this was 1986. And just to see a guy wearing a necklace of the championship, it just... I didn't think it looked good, and, and this was a nice-looking belt that they brought out, too. This wasn't a 
a hunk of junk. So, you know, a definite step in the right direction, having a physical belt to be defended every week or every arena, whatnot. Yeah, and you hear people people reference a joke that goes on a little too long. It's funny, and then it goes on so long it's not funny anymore. And you even hear tell that it goes on even longer, and then it becomes funny again. And that's kind of what the TV medallion was to me. When it was first introduced to me, I was like, what is that about? But uh, after a couple of weeks, it kind of grew on me. It was the charm of it or whatever. And and then it just kind of went on too long. And then, it, like Dick Slater said, it just looked cheap. So I'm glad they moved over to the belt here for the UWF. And like you said, it was good that Slater threw it in the river, kind of like telling you that the North American title was my 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 focus, my importance. You know, I thought that that aspect was good because not only did it physically get rid of the uh, TV medallion, but it made Slater, in my eyes, look a little bit better. Like all he cared about was the North American title. Totally agree with that. Uh, so we go back to the ring. Actually, this was recorded earlier tonight. And stick with me here, guys. It gets a little confusing, but just ride along with me. It's Bill Watts and Grizzly Smith in the ring with Buzz Sawyer and Dark Journey. So clearly a contract signing happening here. Watts says that there was no time to go through the usual channels with attorneys and everything. The contract was just drawn up for tonight's event. A title on the line. But all fields right now are left blank because they didn't have time in advance. I wrote, dun, dun, dun. So remember that, guys. All fields are blank on this contract, this title match contract. So Buzz Sawyer has been given the TV title from Dick Slater, and he's supposed to defend it here tonight. As Bill Watts implies the contract is for Buzz Sawyer to defend Slater's former TV title, the smug Slater doesn't even read the contract. He steps in the ring and signs it as Grizzly Smith then signs off on it. Of course, Grizzly Smith, the matchmaker. So Dick Slater has signed away the rights to the TV title, signed away the rights to this matchup, defending any title, as Slater says that Bill Watts can finish filling out the contract for him because Watts' word is as good as Slater's. And the Cowboy is as trustworthy as Dick Slater. As Dick puts his name on the contract, thinking he's signing Buzz Sawyer over to defend that TV title. And the remaining blanks left on that contract, Roman? the title at stake, the champion's name, and the challenger. So stay tuned, guys, as we move on. So what do you think of this part of the segment thus far? Do you feel something's coming here, don't you, Roman? Yeah, you have to feel something's in the work. But, uh, yeah, they're just making it too confusing, too many moving parts, you know, for, for my liking at least. Yeah, I get where they're going with this, obviously, and I don't mind the whole contract gimmick and everything that goes on here, but why not just make it a simple signature instead of, oh, I'm going to go fill all of this out. It just gets convoluted. We go on as we now back to the live ring action. Remember that was court recorded earlier in the night. So we see the new UWF TV champion, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, referee Tommy Gilbert as well in the ring. And here comes the cowboy, Bill Watts. Watts then explaining that he went ahead and filled out the rest of that blank contract that Dick Slater had already signed away. But for title, Cowboy didn't fill in the TV title, but rather the North American title instead. And since Slater had already signed off on it, Dick Slater may be the North American champion, but it will be Buzz Sawyer defending the title here tonight for Dick Slater. And the challenger? Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So before we get to the match, again, very convoluted, uh, lots of moving parts, as you said, to this story here. Bill Watts, basically a promoter screwing with, with, with champion. 
And, you know, Slater, we had talked about as kind of a thinking man's champion to sign a contract blindly without reading it and uh, just talk about being at the right place at the right time. Sawyer has handed the TV championship. And now for at least tonight, he is the North American champion. You know, just very interesting way of doing things, how they they chose to go with this angle, the storyline. Yeah, so as you says, Buzz Sawyer is handed the North American title to defend instead here. Now, now that's not fair, I say. Shenanigans by the promoter. And irate Dick Slater, though, hits the ring. Bill Watts reminds Slater that he said that Watts' word was as good as Dick's, which, as we all know, isn't worth much. So Watts kind of roasting himself there, along with Dick Slater in that line. But not only that, Slater won't be at ringside for the matchup as Bill Watts calls out some of Oklahoma City's finest police officers to escort Slater away from the ring. Come on, Bill. Now, that's not that's really stacking the deck here. So the Cowboy pulled one over on the champion Dick Slater and the fans excited for what's about to go down. It's going to be Buzz Sawyer defending the North American title against arch rival Hacksaw Jim Duggan when we return from break, but Bill Watts is doing everything to try to get himself over as a babyface here with maybe some new fans watching. And doing everything he could to stick it to Slater. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't chop off Slater's arms and legs while he was at it. You know, I mean, he really put the screws to him every chance he could. And then having the police escort Slater out. Oh, goodness gracious. You, you don't often feel bad for a heel, but he was getting the screws put to him, Slater was. Yeah, and it just felt unprovoked. What did Slater ever do to the Cowboy to get all of this put down on him? It's just really odd that they did all of this. I'm still kind of scratching my head. It, it, I could see if Bill, uh, Slater had been coming out making comments towards Bill or even Joel, maybe poking at Bill's yes. chest. Poking the Cowboy, not a good idea, but Slater really has never had any interactions with Bill Watts. So this just seems really out of nowhere. And Slater, what a nice guy. He replaced the medallion with a, with a better looking belt. He should have, uh, should have been treated a little bit better. He even went the extra step and put the UWF on there, the new logo. Exactly. That's very nice of Slater. So we come back from break and is the North American title on the line champion for a day. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan as Buzz parading around holding the North American title up high with pride. He went from no titles to both titles, at least for one night. And this also continues the feud here between these two. Remember just last week, Sawyer with the dog collar and all those shenanigans on Duggan. So this week, it's Jim's revenge and the North American title on his mind as well as Buzz attacks, but Duggan unloads and Sawyer takes an insane no-look diving bump backwards through the ropes. I can't even describe this, Roman. One of the greatest bumps in the history of wrestling. First time I ever saw this bump, I was like, holy shit. I, and that, that was, I'm putting it nicely, by the way. Oh, Sawyer could bump. I mean, the first few seconds of the match, you know, he took that right hand and went through the ropes like it was nothing. I yeah, mean, up, upside really down backwards. Bump. The guy didn't even look. Yeah. No hands, just straight through the Unbelievable. Well, that, that just shows that Sawyer was actually a little nuts, you know, to take bumps like, like he did. Yeah, I've never seen anyone try to take that bump since. So Duggan pounding away on Sawyer in and out of the ring. Big stiff clothesline and a knee drop going to get Hacksaw 2 here. Duggan finally runs into a boot in the corner. And Buzz Sawyer climbing up to the top rope. You can't do that, Buzz. No top rope here in the UWF. But Duggan catches him and slams him off the top down into the middle of the ring. 
Duggan setting Buzz up for the spear, but Sawyer drops down, and Duggan goes through the ropes and out to the floor. And then Buzz going to follow him outside, attacking Duggan and those taped-up ribs, driving him into the security railing. And then back inside, Sawyer again to the top rope, looking for the top rope splash. As Joel Watts notes on commentary, that would be a disqualification, but it would also enable Buzz to retain that North American title for Dick Slater. But Buzz misses that top rope splash and Duggan up first with the spear. Duggan makes the cover. One, two, three, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the new North American champion. Match goes four minutes and 29 seconds, and Dick Slater has now lost both the North American title and the TV title without ever stepping in the ring. It seems he outsmarted himself. Yeah, so he loses both titles without stepping in the ring. Buzz Sawyer was awarded both titles, or given, or however you want to put it. And uh, just thinking about it, you know, as we're covering this match, it's a shame that they couldn't follow up more on this. You know, being the fantasy bookers that, that we all like to pretend to be, like, there's so many ways they could have went with this. You know, Sawyer could have, uh, you know, had he won. He, uh, Slater could have said, hey, give me the belt back. You know, I was only giving you for one night. And Sawyer could have said, no, I'm the champ. You know, they could have done a Sawyer-Slater series. Or Slater could have even said, you know, got his lawyer involved and said, you know, hey, you can't just give away my belt like that. Or I don't know. There was just so much more they could have done after the fact, I thought. But Slater was gone not too long after this. But just thinking, there were a lot of endless possibilities they could have went with this. Oh, yeah, this this literally feels open-ended when you watch the end of the segment. I mean, is Slater really going to get the belt returned to him? Because this all kind of seems not on the level, especially with everything Bill Watts did. But at the same time, I mean, it's, it, Buzz Sawyer drops the belt for Dick Slater. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Could we just see a, a, a title change, a quick title change back before we even get back to TV next week? It just really, like you said, it felt open-ended, like you could do so many different things at the end of the segment. So, and And the thing is for... For months and years, you know, we had always heard you can't be a double champion. You can't be a double champion. But for this debut episode, Sawyer was a double champion of all people. You exactly. Know? Just, yeah, very, very I, – I didn't like the way this all went down. I mean, I was happy for Duggan. Duggan's a good choice to put on as a North American champion and a hugely popular crowd favorite. This is their debut episode. You know, you want to draw fans in. I just – there was too much uh, confusion, too many moving parts. Just we did our best to try to explain it to everybody out there, but I'm sure there are people out there that are confused. I mean, we watched the segments and there's parts of it that confused us. Yeah. The only thing I can say about that is guys, I do upload all of these episodes to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. Go check it out. Subscribe there. And I've been uploading them in chronological order. These episodes are up there. If you want to go watch it and try to make sense of it yourself. So uh, that's where we're at as far as the storyline goes though. And Roman, that's why I love you because you love professional wrestling, the history of the business, but at the same time, you don't follow it blindly. You can you can spot the flaws and call them out on it, and I love that instead of just making everything sound sound like rainbows and sunshine. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's uh, very nice of you to say. But yeah, just you know, I know you know we know wrestling's a work and whatnot, but we want things to make sense as well. And Watts was one of the things we liked about him was that he usually did make sense of things, right. but this this episode there were quite a few flaws that we uh, we've picked apart as you guys can tell out there. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's easy to do. You, it's easy to overstep when you're maybe taking a company to the next level, you're going to make some bad decisions or report, maybe not bad decisions, but the, maybe not the best decisions uh, 
because you're ready to expand and you're going to try new things and maybe they don't all work out. And that's okay because uh, we got more action in the ring. The show rolls on and more title action. In fact, Mid-South Tag Team Champions, or maybe UWF Tag Champs, I don't know, whatever you want to call them right now. It's Dr. Death, Steve Williams, Ted DiBiase, taking on the Sheep Herders. And the Herders, they now have Jack Victory in their corner. Jack Victory going to act as the Sheep Herders flag bearer, marking Victory's UWF debut. So remember that, guys. Victory debuts on the same show as the new promotion name, as the baby faces fighting those evil foreign New Zealanders. DiBiase waving the American flag high on the way to the ring. And it's so surreal to watch DiBiase do the babyface deal with the, the red, white, and blue. As we know what Ted goes on to become in the WWF. It's, it's kind of surreal sometimes when you see this version of DiBiase so shortly before he makes that jump. And now coming out to Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA also are DiBiase and Dr. Death. Ah, the good old days, Roman, back when pirating top rock and roll songs as your theme music was passable even on national tv yeah i'm surprised they didn't have bruce springsteen walk to the ring with them <laughs> i mean they they did everything a babyface team could do you know with the waving of the flag the born in the usa surprised they weren't handing out apple pie as well yeah this was just done over like a week or two time ted and doc now thrown into this new u.s express type gimmick and it's over immediately with the crowd just another layer to their characters now representing americana and carrying that red, white, and blue to the ring with them. And so to be clear, guys, this is for the Mid-South Tag Team titles because, well, they haven't had time to make UWF Tag Team belts yet. Makes sense, but you're telling me Dick Slater had the forethought to create a UWF TV title, but Bill Watts couldn't go out and make some UWF Tag titles? Come on, Cowboy, get with the program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been nice had he been uh, up to speed when it came to that. So as the match gets going, what else but USA chants begin from the fans as the Herders get DiBiase in their corner, but he fights them both off and Doc is in to even the odds as the Herders bail to regroup. And then it's a little fun back and forth between the teams in the ring, keeps leading to the babyfaces regaining control, but eventually Dr. Death sets up for a football tackle and Butch sees it coming, so he bails out of the ring as we head into a commercial break. And then back from break, it's Doc and Butch continuing their action. And as Williams hits the ropes, Luke from the outside on the apron, grabbing Doc under his chin, causing him to take a bump. Very interesting. It wasn't a knee to the back. He didn't pull his hair. He actually hooked Dr. Death from under the chin. Kind of a dangerous spot there. But Doc taking the bump and the herders taking over, at least for the moment, before Dr. Death rallying back with a jumping tackle and making a hot tag out to Ted DiBiase, who sets Butch up for Dr. Death's running football tackle. One, two, only a two-count Butch kicking out of Dr. Death's tackle? Wow, these sheep herders do mean business, Roman. As things break down into a four-way melee, Jack Victory up on the apron, but Dr. Death knocking him right off. And DiBiase locking in the figure four leg lock on Butch Miller, but the referee busy with Dr. Death, who is wailing away on Victory on the apron. The crowd... Meanwhile, going absolutely nuts for all of this. The heroes in full control here. But with the referee's back turned dealing with Doc and Victory, DiBiase laying flat with the figure four applied on Butch. It's Luke Williams off the top rope with the flagpole across the throat of Ted DiBiase. Dear God. And you guys can guess what happens next. Butch rolling over on top. The sheep herders stealing the win. About seven and a half minutes shown here as we have new 
Mid-South UWF Tag Team Champions, the Sheep Herders. Even more excitement to add to this debut episode and uh, lots of brawling in this matchup. And, you know, and the more you think about it, of the two teams, it would be easier for Doc and DiBiase to adapt to the Sheep Herders style than see the Sheep Herders try to go scientific move for move with Doc and DiBiase. So I thought that was cool that there was lots of brawling. And then plus it helps add to the believability factor that they hate each other. You know, if you hate somebody, you're not going to try to put them in a, a lot of scientific moves. You know, you're going to want to hurt them. So there was lots of brawling, lots of uh, punches being thrown and whatnot. And nice debut for Jack Victory to establish his importance, his relevance, interfering in the match. Right. Well, up until now, the, the Sheeps had run roughshod over everyone, right? And then all of a sudden, they right. have a little issue here with it when they get to the big boys, the tag team champions, but they've already found themselves, you know, a third partner here, so to speak. Yeah, and, and I like the fact that DiBiase had the figure four on, which means he couldn't move. He could not get out of the way of the flagpole, he, you know, no matter how hard he tried, because he was locked up in a figure four. So yeah, that little bit he, of subtlety I thought was good, too. I loved it, because he, he was the one that had the move applied, but like you said, he was still stuck there. He couldn't really go anywhere. And here comes Luke with that flagpole into the throat of all things. And I love the fact that it was Luke's interference that cost them the titles rather than Jack Victory's. Because Jack Victory just made his debut, really didn't know anything about him. So having Luke be the man to come off the top and, and basically injure the throat of DiBiase in the process as well. So good storytelling here. And the Sheep Herders, your new tag team champions. Yes, and this also opens the door, of course, for DiBiase to go back to all Japan, which at that time we... You know, if you weren't a smart fan, you didn't know. You thought, oh, you know, DiBiase's hurt or he lost the tag belts and it's going to take a little time off, but this opens the door for him to go to all Japan. Right. So, of course, DiBiase's injury going to write him out. I think he does work a couple of house shows. He cuts a couple of promos for him anyway. I'm not sure if he actually makes those shows or not. I'll have to go into the results and check that out. But obviously, yeah, headed back to all Japan for yet another tour. And somehow we've technically seen three title changes here today on the show. And uh, the show's not even over yet, Roman. So the t TV title changed hands. Slater gave it over to Buzz Sawyer. A little bit of cheating there, as I called it a title change. But then from there, Buzz Sawyer dropping the North American title for Slater to Duggan. And now the Sheep Herders are the tag team champions. There's still more action here on the program as we roll on. Birdman Coco Beware taking on Mike Scott. Scott, a glutton for punishment here in Mid-South. Uh, big dude, but just not meant to be in the ring. As Coco coming off with that middle rope dropkick picking up the win in just 33 seconds. Good to see the Birdman in and out this week. Uh, they got him on. They wanted to make sure that they showcased him here, even if it was just for a half a minute in the ring, uh, this first edition of UWF. Yeah, and Coco was uh, a little more aggressive than, you, than I'm used to seeing him. He hit a real hard clothesline. And when you think of clotheslines, you don't often think of Coco Beware, but he nailed the hard clothesline and then, uh, you know, the dropkick for the victory. But a, l a little more aggressive Coco this week. Yeah, you can't get any more aggressive with the dropkick, but I agree his entire offense, a little bit that it was, he did come in. Maybe he was uh, told to do that. Maybe he was told that, hey, we're in front of a whole lot of new eyes now, Coco. Get out there and shine. Look a little more aggressive. Get out there, you know, and have the eye of the Tigers, so to speak. And where does it here? And he gets it done pretty fast. Up next on the show, it sounds like a competitive match, but we'll have to see what happens here. Chavo Guerrero now in the UWF, taking on Taurus Bulba, Eddie Gilbert in his corner. Chavo with a really nice monkey flip on the awkwardly built Bulba. Joe Watts refers to the monkey flip as a stomach throw, I wrote. Okay, Joel. So Chavo with a Northern Light suplex early on. Going to get the one, two, 
and Carl Fergie counts the three. And it looks like Bulba was supposed to kick out. And in fact, he did kick out, though maybe a split second too late. And Chavo Guerrero going to get the win. Abruptly quick win in just one minute and 35 seconds. So, so much for the Hot Stuff International thus far. Undefeated no more here on TV is Mr. Bulba. I don't know about you. Did you catch that? Did you think maybe this match was supposed to go on just a little longer? It looked like that wasn't supposed to be the finish, at least from my end. But uh, nevertheless, Chavo Guerrero scoring the win over Torres Bulba. Yes, I indeed caught that. And uh, I even have that in my notes, kind of a confusing finish. You know, was that supposed to happen that way? Or yeah, it was, it was kind of awkward. And, and Chavo making short work of Bulba, a guy that's supposed to be a dominating foreign menace. And uh, I think that kind of showed the writing was on the wall. that Mr. Uh, Mr. Bulba was not going to have a bright future in the UWF. Yeah, and well, if even if he w- was slated to have a bright future in the UWF, I'm sure after that situation, maybe not so much anymore. Bill Watts couldn't have been happy there. You got to get that shoulder up before the three, Bulba. And everybody seemed confused, but they went along with it. Chavo picking up the win. I'm sure Chavo was likely going to win anyway. That's just where we're at, though. Tars Bulba, not much longer here for Mid-South Wrestling. And thinking about the way he was brought in, he took out Oliver Humperdinck for Eddie Gilbert. So he was actually Eddie's first charge here in this new Hot Stuff International type group. But Bulba, yeah, he's not going to be here much longer. Yeah, just, just thinking about the way how everything started off with Eddie Gilbert. You know, getting Bulba, who we talked about, like, was that really the best choice? And then, uh, you know, Gilbert, oh, I'm retired. I've got, you know, Bad Bunny, Big Bunny, whatever, the benefactor. And then a week later, he's wrestling on TV. It wasn't like they really were sure what to do with Eddie Gilbert at this time. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of the UWF television program. The very first episode of the UWF, all three titles changing hands. Dick Slater losing both belts without ever being pinned. Uh, We'll continue on with that as the weeks progress. But right now we move on to March the 23rd in Power Pro Wrestling. Jim Ross hosting with a giant Crockett Cup banner used as a backdrop here. Going to hard sell the event for the next month and why not? as we get a replay of Hacksaw Duggan over Buzz Sawyer for the North American title from UWF television. Then, joined in progress, we also see the Sheep Herders defeat Dr. Death and DiBiase for the tag team titles as well. And next, we get the Fantastics music video, Tush, courtesy of ZZ Top, and that can only mean the Fantastics may be on their way back to the territory. And then a throwback matchup. We see the Fantastics score a win over Tom Pritchard and Pat Rose. Yep. That definitely solidifies it then, Roman. I think the fans are can expect to see the return of the Fantastics before too long. And the Fantastics, such a solid team, and the fans loved them, and uh, it was always good to see the Fantastics in the area. Of course, the Fantastics, the name, a play on the Fantastic Ones, which was Bobby Fulton and Terry Taylor, which was a play on the Fabulous Ones. But now we get Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton heading into town, and Tommy Rogers, one of my favorite unsung heroes of the era, I love the Fantastics, probably mostly for Tommy Rogers, but what a great team. And a lot of people called them the the second rate Rock and Roll Express. I don't think so. I would would argue maybe it didn't get the heat at certain times and certain places as the Rock and Rolls and Midnights, but the matches were equally on level, if not better at times, against the Midnights. Oh, I agree 200%. The Fantastics had some absolute classics with the Midnights. And we had talked earlier on a podcast about how underrated Brad Armstrong was. And I could say the same for Tommy Rogers. I remember watching him in Georgia championship wrestling 
you know, and he was kind of the young up and comer in singles competition and just an amazing drop kick. He had the look, he, he had the moves. He was just one of those guys that was just a tremendous talent, you know, and, uh, yeah, it was sad. He was another one that was gone, gone, uh, before his time. Boy, when he randomly popped up in ECW out of the blue, I had to do a double take because they were calling him Tommy Rogers. And I said, no way that, wow, Tommy Rogers is an ECW. And it was just a cup of coffee there, but it was so cool to see him pop up there just briefly. But yeah, he brought along with him the Tamikaze move. And I think, was it Lance Storm or somebody was online and they told the story of Rogers inventing that move. He had uh, called Lance up at like maybe two, three in the morning and asked him to come over to the arena where the, the ring was. He wanted to try something out. And uh, Lance showed up for something like 50 bucks or something. <laughs> I never heard that. Man, that's awesome. I, I never heard that story before. Yeah. And of course, Christian would go on to make that his finisher for many, many years. Uh, I don't know what all names it's been given, but the Impaler and, and whatnot. So the Unprettier. Tommy Rogers, I don't know if he invented that move, but he's the first person I ever saw do the move. And I always thought it was awesome. Yeah, likewise. It's the first one I ever saw do it. So, yeah. Uh, and I agree with you. I think my top two of the 80s underrated Brad Armstrong and Tommy Rogers. So, man, it's scary how how much we think alike, Roman. Very scary. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, Rogers got a, a little bit of a rub in Memphis, you know, as a, as a junior champion. And, right. and you look back, you were hoping it would have led to more. But, you know, he wasn't a great promo guy. And, and being small in stature, you know, it, it's hard in the, in the wrestling business. You know, people look at a wrestler. Perfect example, Adam Cole. Tremendous talent and whatnot. But if you stand next to him, you realize, like, how small Adam Cole is. You know, right. if he walked through an airport and you told somebody that guy's a pro wrestler, they would look at you like, no, look at him. He's too small. And Rogers kind of had that feeling, too. You know, he like did. he was just right. a, a little too small. But what a talented performer. And I hate to peg him like that, but he was built for a, a great tag team. And, and luckily he was able, you know, he was able to shine there with Bobby Fulton as the Fantastics because he certainly deserved, you know, a, a spot on Crockett or in Watts and things of that nature. So very cool to see the Fantastics on their way back. And another team here right now, we get a throwback match here of the Rock and Roll Express, defeating the fabulous Freebirds, Michael Hayes and Buddy Roberts on a disqualification after Michael Hayes tossing Robert Gibson over the top rope leading to a post-match double drop kick by the Rock and Rolls on Buddy Roberts and Gibson making his own three count, Ricky Morton scoring the quote-unquote win there. So I wrote, was this for the Rock and Rolls, Roman, or could there be more in the works here with the Freebird? Yeah, yeah, it uh, made you wonder at that time. But you, you can't go wrong with a Rock and Roll Freebirds match. You know, those just legendary tag teams, and anytime you get a chance to see them, it was well worth it. Our next throwback match here on Power Pro features nature boy Buddy Landell scoring a win over Johnny Mantell with use of a foreign object. Of course, Landell and Dundee will be part of that Crockett Cup tournament. They'll also be appearing on some UWF cards as well in the interim. So that explains this one here with Buddy Landell scoring a win. And then yet another throwback match here this week. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer defeating Don Turner. I'm assuming they added this one just for fun. It's that nasty drop kick that uh, essentially gives Turner a concussion. I'm no doctor, but I have to assume that's what happened here because Buzz going to finish him off with a power slam, but Don looked clearly out on his feet after that drop kick to the skull. Yeah, Buzz, Buzz didn't know how to work light. You know, so <laughs> when you were in the ring with Buzz Sawyer, I'm sure you, your body would be covered in uh, bruises. You were probably black and blue from head to toe after wrestling Buzz. And here's a fun one. After like a half a dozen throwback matches, we head back to the current times, March 16th from the Myriad, 
Steel cage matchup, guys. Special referee in town, Killer Carl Cox. As we see Dick Murdoch take on Dr. Death Steve Williams, the match joined in progress with Dick Murdoch in control, but Doc makes the comeback and Murdoch tries to escape the cage, run away from Dr. Death, but Williams yanking Dickie's trunks down, bare ass in the air and all, as Joe Watts on commentary having a genuine laugh here, and no doubt Murdoch called that spot, Roman, as Williams slams Murdoch off the top rope into the ring, but Dickie battles back with a series of jabs and a nice drop kick from Murdoch as well. Carl Cox then checking on Dr. Death, while Murdoch going into his trunks, pulling out a foreign object. And then Dick Cox back. Wait, did I just say Dick Cox back? Yeah, I said it. Anywho, Dick Cox back to nail Dr. Death with the object, but Carl Cox sees it and catches Murdoch's arm. Cox then taking the object from Murdoch, but Dick, he has a second foreign object in his trunks. So Dick pulling out a second object here, takes a wild swing at Cox, but the killer ducks, and Murdoch stumbling right into the Oklahoma Stampede by Dr. Death Steve Williams. Williams going to make the cover, and Cox going to make the count. One, two, three. The final four minutes, 15 seconds shown of this matchup. Uh, with Doc and Murdoch, those were two guys to me. It didn't matter who won. I was a fan of both of them. Uh, certain matchups, you're like, ah, oh, it sucks that this guy went over. I wish right. this would have Doc, Doc and Murdoch, it didn't matter who won to me. I was happy to see them in the ring together. Yeah, I love both guys. And you're right. There are certain feuds where, you know, you get pissed off if the right guy doesn't win because it needed to be that way. Or maybe there are matches where you like one guy and you just you groan at the other guy and the, the guy you don't like goes over and you groan at that as well. But this is one of those situations where I, I don't have a dog in the fight. I love them both. Or maybe I have two dogs in the fight. So I don't want to really see either one of them lose, but I don't really care who wins either. And it's a good analogy there, Roman, as uh, Murdoch will finish up with the UWF here fo the following night from the, after this taping on March the 17th in Tulsa. So Murdoch already gone by the time this airs and Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death beat Dick Murdoch and the Masked Superstar in a cage match on March the 17th. And Murdoch now off to New Japan for a tour shortly after that. He'll be on to Jim Crockett promotion. So Dick Murdoch, we hardly knew ye. He's going to be gone here at least for quite a while as uh, DiBiase and Doc have already moved on to the Sheep Herders. Doc and DiBiase versus Sheep Herders. You know, I can't, you look back now, like, we got to see that on the first episode on free TV. You know, how exciting <laughs> that first episode was to see that and then to see a title change on top of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's amazing that you get a title match on TV against the number one team, the number one challengers on TV, and then the title actually changes hands. You didn't even, you certainly didn't expect that last part coming. So it was very cool. And, and another great segue there, Roman, because up next, more promos, more sound bites here queued up. I got going for you guys. March 24th, Lakefront Arena tag team title rematch. We're going to hear from the brand new UWF tag team champion, the Sheep Herders, as well as the challengers, Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and the injured throat, Ted DiBiase. Oh! Dr. Death Williams! <laughs> Ted DiBiase! <laughs> Come and try again, Yex! Come, Come and try again against the Sheep Herders! <laughs> Come and let the <laughs> Yankee people see you laying down in the middle of the ring like you were when the Sheep Herders defeated you like for the tag team champions! 
backyard rob us from our trophies from our gold from our belts something that we take a lot of pride of and then you come into our homes and you take something you wave your flag across the United States of America where all those people out there are all Americans and then you come down and you take a flagpole and you start ramming you call yourself champions you shove a flagpole down my throat you knock me out and you take the belts well, if that's the way you want to do it, we'll get down and we'll do it that way. You ask anybody in Mid-South, you ask anybody in the country, who can get nastier than Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Ted DiBiase? Nobody! And when you got something that belongs to us, we'll get as nasty as we got to get. So there it was, DiBiase trying to speak, even though his throat injured from that flagpole incident, courtesy of Luke Williams there, but Doc and DiBiase looking to come back for those tag team titles. They're not done yet with those sheep herders. No, they got to get revenge, and uh, let's not forget how patriotic they've become the last couple of weeks. So they got to do it for America, USA. And uh, that's gonna wrap things up here this week on Power Pro. And where was that Blade Runners video we were promised last week? Damn it, Joel Watts, get your ass in gear. Well, well, if you wouldn't mind, if you wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind adding something on the on the uh, first episode of the UWF. Let's do it. All right, yeah, I just wanted to say that this was the first time that all three titles had changed hands on their show and they would happen later on. They would do that. But on an episode later on down the road, they all like legitimately changed hands as opposed to having a wrestler be given the belt, uh, somebody else defending somebody else's title. But, you know, we, we knocked on some of the stuff that happened the first episode, you know, with the press conference and some of the booking, but just thinking about it, the excitement of, Titles changing hands, which was not something that was done a lot, and it was not something that was done on TV a lot back in the day. And then you throw in the fact that you had Duggan versus Sawyer. That was a feud that was being pushed as a main event in many arenas in the country. And then you also had Doc and DiBiase versus the Sheep Herders, and all that was on free TV. That was so rare back then to see two main event caliber matches on free TV so I, I do think that they got the ball started in the, in the, or they got the ball rolling. They got things started off in the right foot on their debut episode. Yeah, a little slow going, I think, with that press conference, but they really got into things immediately thereafter. And they did it right in a row, too. It wasn't spread out. We didn't get that Coco or Chavo match in between. It was hit him and hit him hard and hit him fast and often because we got the deal with the, with the Dick Slater and then the Buzz Sawyer and Hacksaw Duggan match. And then, of course, the tag team title match. And like you said, the titles change hands on TV, and everyone's so spoiled now with constant competitive matches on television for the past 25 years. But back then, you're right, man. Sometimes I even forget that every once in a while. Man, the the, the action that was given to us here on free TV. It's insane, the com- competition here this week. Well, uh, well, a lot of times back then, you know, the promoters would be like, why give it away for free? Let's Let's talk them into the building. We'll set up an angle. We'll have great promos. We'll get them to pay to come to the arena. And, and that way the fans can see it that way. But to get it on free TV as a, as a fan and a, a tape trader, DVD trade, whatever, like to see 
that on free t- it's mind-boggling you know like the what happened because i never had the privilege of going to the arena to see duggan and sawyer because of where i lived so to see that on free tv and then to see the title change that was a big deal yeah it was a house show business back then so a lot of these guys a lot of these promoters their their entire mindset was we're not going to give you too much away on free tv we want you to come to the house shows buy the tickets so that we can stay in business so a lot of times when we would get a really great match, and I got to point that out to my son all the time as we binge watch Mid-Atlantic, he'll pop for some big matchup, you know, that's that's coming on near the end of the show. And I'll go, you better check the time left. And it'll be like three minutes, four minutes. I'll be like, I knew they weren't going right. to give us that one, you know. And that was that was the gimmick a lot. Dusty did that a lot in Crockett. And Watts did it a lot here in the UWF, too. Uh, they, they would close the show with a match still going on hot and heavy and make you want to come to come to the, the arena near you when they came to your town to see what, what might happen when these guys get back in the ring, which is wise from a business standpoint, but as a fan man, did that used to piss me off growing up. And it was so funny too, because one day I remember my dad being over and he came into the ring, uh, room and I was watching wrestling and he said, let me guess, uh, it's going to be a wrestler versus a, I think he called them wimps or, or something like that. Uh, and then another wrestler versus a wimp. And then they're going to give you a pretty good match. Maybe not the main event, but a pretty really good match but they're going to end, you know, before, before the match ends. And I said, how did you know that? Cause he hadn't watched wrestling my whole, you know, my whole life really. And uh, he said, they were doing that back when I was watching Johnny powers. He's like, that's been the, you know, the, the formula oh, in certain wow. territory. Yeah. He said, he said, that's been the formula for, you know, for years. So it's uh, kind of interesting. Now Vince really never did that, but that was definitely a thing. Some of these other territories did. Well, in this, if it was your first time watching the UWF, you know, like I said, I got off to a slow start. But if this was your first time being exposed, I'm sure you would want to stay tuned for week number two. Oh, my know, God. Because of the excitement that happened in week one. After what you're watching on WWF programming, maybe six squash mm-hmm. matches a week, uh, or, or a per episode of Superstars and Wrestling Challenge or Championship Wrestling All-Star at the time, I mean, and then you turn to this? I mean, holy shit. It's, it's like a whole new world. It, there, there's a reason we're talking about UWF 86. This was an ex- exciting time to be a fan and like i said earlier there were so many times where you would have to turn the volume down you know or or you could leave the living room and go to the bathroom or go to the kitchen and you could still hear what was going on because the crowd was so loud all right guys so i did a quick scroll here over the results for the next houston coliseum show i think i can knock this out in about a minute roman so we'll just squeeze it in now to move ahead to tv for the next episode of regional wrestling if that's cool with you yeah let's do it all right so here we go we head back down to houston texas Sam Houston Coliseum for March the 23rd, nine days after their last show here in Houston. So uh, they've been busy down here lately in the Paul Bosch territory. And the card looks like this. It's Jack Victory making his Houston debut over Sean O'Reilly. Korstia Korchenko defeats Tracy Smothers. The Blade Runners arrive in Houston. God help us all. They defeat the team of Dave Peterson and Brett Wayne Sawyer. It's Terry Taylor over Taras Bulba. Chavo and Hector Guerrero team up to defeat the team. This could have been fun. Chavo and Hector over Buzz Sawyer and Rick Steiner. I wonder if that's one of the matches out there. I'm going to go check because that sounds like a fun one. I'm going to go watch that. Also on the card, Coco Beware defeating Dick Slater. No titles. By disqualification here, it's Ware over Slater. North American champion Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeating Kamala. Remember I talked last episode, Kamala coming back because Kim Mantell now the booker. Ken Mantell has the end with Kamala. Kamala left the Mid-South and Houston with a bad taste in Paul Bosch and Bill Watts' mouth about a year ago because he was supposed to go around the loop doing jobs to Duggan, of all people, 
in a loser leaves town matchup, but Kamala leaves before losing the loser leaves town matches. And instead he comes back and immediately, well, they get their revenge on him. Who does he lose to? Hacksaw Duggan here for the North American title. And the final match on the card, it's DiBiase and Dr. Death looking to regain the tag team titles from the Sheep Herders. And Doc and DiBiase will go over, but on a disqualification. So some fun matches here. We get the the rematch with DiBiase and Doc versus the Sheep Herders. It's Duggan over Kamala. The Guerreros versus Steiner and Sawyer caught my eye as well. Anything here tickle your fancy? You know, maybe Doc and DiBiase, Sheep Herders. You know, you can't go wrong with that. But just uh, out, out, other than that, just uh, seems like an ordinary card. I thought we could run through it in a minute or two here because not a whole lot. Uh, it just seems, it feels like a placeholder. I hate it to call it that. Lots of great action here, but it feels like a placeholder card for this week in, in the Houston territory. Yeah, and after what we just talked about, you know, they, they can't all be, uh, you know, WrestleMania type. You know, every now and then you got to seem like a little bit of a lull before you pick it back up again. And uh, if I could just add one thing, not to steal your thunder, Ray, but sure. – you had mentioned you had mentioned earlier about the Duggan Sawyer I quit. Mm-hmm. You any fans that were there in attendance after you hit Ray up, please hit me up. I would like to hear your memories, your recollections of uh, of that match because that's something I would have loved to seen. And if there's any video out there of it, I don't recall any. I don't think I have any. If anybody has any video, or you know, please send me a, a message and uh, what episode it was on or whatever because I would love to see footage of an I quit match with Duggan and Sawyer. Yeah, and you guys can find Roman on Facebook. He's easy to find. Just look up Roman Gomez, and you'll you'll find the right one sooner or later, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, uh, absolutely. I didn't mean to cut you out there when I was asking for the information. I was just, you know, doing my due diligence and research there, Roman. But, uh, you know, I know Roman's just the biggest fan as I am in all of this stuff. So definitely want to include you when I, when I say things like that. And in, in that uh, give, him a, give him a shout out and uh, let him know that you love what he's doing here on the show because I get a lot of great feedback for you and Jamie Ward joining me here on the show and the stuff we do with Mid-South. Jamie, I just did a recorded a show. Sorry, guys, breaking kayfabe a little bit here. Did a show with Jamie just yesterday, um, and he had just returned from the Florida Fan Fest, and he said there was a lot of people that had a lot of nice things to say. He counted about 15 people came up to him, and not just put over the shows I do with Jamie, but you as well. They listen to both of them, and they love them all. Oh, wow, thank you. Yeah, J- Jamie's a friend of mine, a uh, real good guy, and – yeah, he mentioned to me today that you guys recorded another episode of Georgia, and uh, looking forward to that one being released. So uh, next week here on Mid South Wrestling or the UWF, now it's going to be Doctor Death taking on Taurus Bulba. Dick Slater going to have some uh, issues with Cowboy Bill Watts. We're going to see the tag team of Buzz Sawyer and Rob Ricksteiner. How about that, guys? So lots to look forward to as we jump into more action next week here in the Mid-South Territory, Roman. But for right now, I want to thank you again for knocking out another show while time permitted. I know you got a lot of things going on in the real world out there, mostly work-related and and some other fun things as well, and, of course, those Yankees. But, um, yeah, I won't hold that against you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> either love us or hate us, but yeah, we're uh, people have an opinion of the Yankees if they're baseball fans, you know, one fun, way or another. Funny story: I grew up, my grandparents raised me, and my grandfather was a Yankees fan, huge Yankees fan, and I never understood it because he was from southeastern Kentucky, the most opposite of a Yankee that you could be. And I one day I said, Papa, why do you like the Yankees so much? Why, why aren't you like a, a Cleveland Indians fan or or something like that? And he explained to me back when he was a kid. The Yankees were the only team they could hear on the radio. There was no TV yet, guys. So to him, that was America's team, so to speak. And so he grew up a Yankees fan because of that. You you know, it's so ironic you saying that. 
I'm, I'm a Mexican, you know, my last name Gomez, obviously. Mm-hmm. And people have asked me, well, you're not from New York. How can you like the Yankees? My dad grew up in Mexico. And it was the same thing on the farm he grew up on. He was a huge baseball fan. They only had like three channels back in the day. When there was a baseball game on, it was always the Yankees. So he became a Yankee fan. And me being like a lot of kids growing up, I wanted to be just like my dad. So if my dad liked the Yankees, I liked the Yankees. And it's just grown and grown and grown. But, uh, yeah, that's ironic. We got another thing we got in common, you know, family <laughs> members that grew up listening or watching the Yankees because that's all that was on when it came to baseball. Well, there you go. I, I differ from you, Roman, because I stayed the, the old tried-and-true hometown boy. So I, I am a Cleveland Indians. I call them Indians still, guys. I'm a Cleveland Indians I do, too. Guardians. I do, too. And I'm I'm not from that area. I still call them the Indians. So it is what it is. But, yeah, man, it's uh, it's been a rough uh, summer for the uh, Indians thus far. But uh, hopefully they'll you know turn things around. Obviously, the Yankees are doing Yankee things. But, um, yeah, well, luckily for the Indians right now, they're in a division that's not doing so hot overall. So they have that much going for them anyway. And they did get McKenzie back the other day, so that should yes. help. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I can only hope. So, uh, Roman, I just want to say I appreciate you, though, man. I really, really do. Uh, dropping in and uh, finding some time to get another show out. I always love when we do these. It's so exciting. Uh, not only do I watch this and write everything down, and then I keep it in my notes, and then when I come back to revisit it right before we record, I get a little hyped again. But as we record this, it's all back in my mind all over again. I'm having a blast doing these. Yeah, likewise, Ray, and I appreciate it. And I'll, I'll admit, I was a little pissed off that I had today off from work. I was expecting to work today, and it, it didn't happen with the labor coordinator and whatever and whatnot. But doing this podcast brought a smile to my face. It was good jumping back in the time machine. And uh, thank you, everybody out there, for listening to us. And uh, any feedback you have, we appreciate the support big time. Yeah, and I was I was going to tell you, man, I, I know it doesn't pay the bills, but I was hoping at least, you know, it brought a smile to your face. I was hoping it would make you just a little bit happy anyway coming out of this show. So I know it wasn't it, what you it, wanted yeah. out of your day, Roman, but hopefully, you know, I, I added a little bit of sunshine to your day and, and you, you certainly added some to mine to get another show out of the way. And uh, we just keep moving on with this, man, because Crockett Cup right around the corner. Yeah, it, it definitely brought a smile to my face and uh you know, I would much rather talk UWF wrestling 1986 than being in the dentist chair like I was yesterday. So this was a good experience. <laughs> All right. Sounds good, Roman. Thank you so much once again. And uh, we'll have you back really soon. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Another fun week here talking UWF 86 here. Thank you once again, Roman Gomez. And we'll be back again soon. Going to talk more Mid-South here at 86, no doubt, as well as more Georgia 81. And as always, I am your host, Ray Russell. You can follow me on Twitter at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And I'm promising you that we'll be back soon with more regional wrestling, where we talk the territories. <laughs> <laughs>